Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. Welcome to week 29 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Again, this week we've gone out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you, the listeners, don't have to. I'm Craig Fields. And I am indeed David Long. And coming up on this week's show, we'll be taking a look at Elita Battle Angel. This is produced by James Cameron, directed by Robert Rodriguez, starring Rosa Salzar, Christoph Waltz and Jennifer Connelly. Next up, we'll be delving back into the world of Lego with the Lego Movie 2, the second part, with the voices of Chris Pratt and Elizabeth Banks. We'll then be taking a look at Boy Erased, Joel Edgerton directs and stars alongside Lucas Hedges, Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe. And thus far, the native hue of resolution <laughs> brings forth all is true, written by Ben Elton, directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh alongside Judy Dench. Indeed, indeed. And to round off the show, we'll be reviewing If Beale Street Could Talk. Barry Jenkins directs and it's starring Kiki Lane, Stephen James and Regina King. As well as our main reviews, we'll be talking to podcaster, radio broadcaster and producer Jeff Lloyd, talking everything from podcasting to cinema etiquette. Uh, we'll have our usual box office rundown, news and cinema at home. It's been a fairly packed out week, hasn't it, really? It, you know? it's, it's been a very busy, busy week. Lots of films, interviews, uh, BAFTA live streaming, which was uh, rather fun, wasn't it? Yeah, um, we did live stream the BAFTAs. Um, oh, I thought Joanna Lumley was terrible, uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, really bad, in fact. Um, At the time, we weren't really paying too much attention, but you did say during the live streaming, she's not great. And I yeah. was like, I like her. Mm. But upon watching it back properly, yeah, she was um, pretty pretty terrible. Some some really bad jokes. Um, and, and yeah, just not, not a great ceremony, if I'm honest. I mean, the rewards went pretty much where we thought they would. Uh, the Favourite and Roma did incredibly well. Roma won Best Picture, which pretty much makes it a certainty now to win Best Picture at the Oscars. I would, I would think uh, anything that beats it now would be a major, major surprise. Um, what else do we have? We had, obviously, trips into London. Um, well, a trip into <laughs> London. I've had several trips into London uh, to meet and interview the fantastic Jeff Lloyd. So do listen out for that later in the show. Those train services. Uh, what is going on? Oh, yeah. We're talking about train services. We went in, trains delayed, trains delayed, trains delayed. Yesterday, as you know, I went racing at uh, Ascot. Um, and I actually, don't don't laugh, I actually, I actually had to get a train to Penzance just to get to Royal Ascot. Now... Hang on a second. Yes. Where is that exactly? Well, that's literally, the that is the southernmost tip of the UK. But I didn't go all the way down to Penzance. I got off at Reading and then had to go from Reading to Ascot. Yeah. So, so hang this, on, isn't that near Cornwall? Yes. What? But I didn't go all the way. So, well, yeah, so the train was going to. Yes. So right. I had to go from Hemel Hempstead to Euston, Euston to Euston Square, Euston Square to Paddington, Paddington to, from Paddington to Penzance, but get off at Reading and then go from Reading to Ascot. That sounds very complicated. Whereas normally all you would do is go Hemel to Clapham Junction, Clapham Junction to Ascot, but alas, the trains weren't working. Do you mind if I ask how much that cost you? Not actually a lot, about 28 quid. How much would a taxi have cost you? More. 
But yeah. the, the, the weird thing was, is that obviously going to Paddington and then getting on a train that says Penzance on the front. <laughs> Imagine if you fell asleep. Well, yeah, the first stop was Reading. But part of me, because it was one of those trains where you sit down and there's a buffet car and there's, you know, f- all this kind of stuff, I thought... It was like murder on the Orient I, Express. Because you know what I'm like with organisation and timetables. I thought, I hope I'm on the right train. <laughs> because, I mean, I mean, if you get on a train to Penzance, which is literally past Truro, right at the tip yeah, yeah, bottom know, of the country, know, you're yeah. in trouble. Um, had a great day at the races. We also had Valentine's Day. How was that for you, Craig? Well, um, <laughs> I put a tweet out on, on Twitter um, mm-hmm. asking for people to maybe come and, and come with me and see uh, um, Notting Hill yeah, in and the cinema. 20th yeah. anniversary for that. And uh, not a single person oh. actually said that they would. Um, actually, no, that's not true. Kerry on Twitter, she did tweet saying she'd rather see that with me than see a different film. Um, and she'd also take a rusty fork and stab herself in the eye. Fair enough. I mean, uh, that was... That, that was after I saw the film, though. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I am, as you know, and I seem to continually remind our listeners, I am single. Uh, swipe right on Twitter, Bumble, etc. Um, and yeah, I completely forgot it was Valentine's Day. So I actually went to see All Is True on Valentine's I think that's Day. that's a perfect film uh, to see on Valentine's Yeah, well, it was literally... It was ama- not alone. It was amazing to see because it was literally, there was 10 couples. So everyone was in a two. Um, and then there was just me at, at the back on my own. Um, it's sort of a bit weird, but not as weird as when me and my dad uh, a few years back went out for dinner um, j- just to catch up. Uh, and we forgot it was Valentine's Day, so we, we booked a table. That's very awkward. Um, and obviously we turned up and realised that everyone thought that we were in a relationship, which we weren't. Um, <laughs> and, <it> was, <laughs> and I had to continually explain to people that this was my dad. Um, it was just a bit of an, an, awkward, uh, an awkward evening out. But um, no, Valentine's Day... Um, still no luck and pretty much everyone that I've spoken to this week has just informed me that they're engaged yeah um, engaged or in a, in a couple with somebody else or in a long term relationship yeah. or they don't like bald men or men with beards or men who do film review podcasts what have they actually said that specifically yes they say uh, I literally you're say bald you're bearded and you're in a film review podcast they are all boxes that do not I, tick my normal I, box no I, before we move on I genuinely did meet a, a girl on Bumble we, we started to talk and um she said things she doesn't like baldness, but she'd forgive me. Uh, and I said, oh, okay, fair enough. What about beards? I'm not a big fan of beards. I thought, mm, this isn't going well. Uh, and finally, I thought, well, well, we'll ease in by saying, well, you know who I am. I, I do a film <laughs> review podcast. I can get you free tickets. She goes, I hate film. Oh. So it well, was dead. Well, her off straight yeah. away with that then. Binned. Gone. The funny thing is, though, you're always talking about Bumble on here and, yeah. and Tinder. and I don't actually day. use it. I've probably been using it more and I've not actually told anybody this. I've never <laughs> mentioned it on the podcast. And from that, I have actually won a competition through oh, yes, of course, to go and see a film on Tuesday in central London. And uh, it's basically you can take a date with you or you can take somebody with you. And obviously I was going to take you because it's for the podcast. We get to see the film early. <laughs> I'm not it's going. Not a date. It's not a date. Yeah, it's I'm, just... Either way, I'm, there is no way I'm going to see a film called On the Basis of Sex on a Bumble Date competition. No, But it's no, not a no. day. It's not a day. But it is. It's a bloody dating app. Victory. We get to see it four days early. I'm not going with you. Okay. Well, essentially, I'm <laughs> going to be turning up on my own unless somebody says that they're free to come with me. And um, I, I'm hoping somebody does go along with me. Otherwise, it's going to be the most awkward thing ever. My dad? 
I mean, I'd happily take your dad. Honestly, <laughs> I, I mean, it's not a date. I mean, there's free food, there's free drink. Um, so if you are listening and you fancy seeing on the basis of sex with free food and free drink, do tweet us, yeah. email us, and Craig will take you. I mean, there is a 12-hour window that I need to RSVP to. Probably by this time has gone out. By this has gone, yeah, by the time this has gone out, there's 12 hours left for people to say, yes, I'll go with you. Um, so jump on that. Um, what else happened? Oh, so Jeff, when we interviewed Jeff, he did give us a bar of chocolate. Mm. Now, where has this come from? This David? has come from Iceland. Um, I know Jeff will be listening to this episode, so thanks again, Jeff. It's got sort of, it's very Icelandic. I don't, very I know, yellow. It's, it's yellow. It's got some sort of horned animal on the front. It's got a wolf. Um, it's made of 65% cocoa bills. It's called Omnom chocolate uh, from Reykjavik. Um, and we are going to eat this during today's episode. Um, Come whack it open now. I want to try a bit. Oh. <laughs> it comes in bloody hell. That's fancy, isn't it? It comes in an envelope. <laughs> Opening it now. Oh, look, oh you can't eat that. Oh, it's wow, too look nice. at the packaging. The packaging's nice got a wolf. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let oh, Craig... wow, look at that. ...tuck into it. You can uh, try a bit. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Oh, blimey. That's really good. That is rather nice. Mm. Uh, and on that note, Craig, um, we've talked enough about our terrible dating lives. Shall we crack on with the box office rundown? Yes, let's do it. Delicious chocolate, though. Thank you very much, Jeff. Very nice indeed. This is the box office rundown brought to you by is it worth it the film review podcast that's right it's time for the box office rundown and it's for the weekend of february the 8th to the 10th 2019 david's Kick us off at number 10. So, Craig, at number 10, we have All Is True, starring Kenneth Branagh and Judy Dench, amongst uh, many others, a fantastic cast. Um, it's been out for one week. It's grossed £0.3 million, pounds, uh, and that's its total gross from the weekend and total gross uh, all in because it's only been out for one week. Um, we have recently seen that, and we will be reviewing it on today's show. In at number nine, we have the fabulous Mary Poppins Returns, and that's uh, taken 0.3 million pounds, a.k.a. £300,000 at the weekend. <laughs> uh, it's grossed an incredible £42.1 million, pounds, and it's been out for eight weeks now, and we loved this film. Mm. In at number eight, we have Vice, directed by Adam McKay. Uh, it took £300,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £3.2 million in total, uh, and it's been out for three weeks. I'll be honest, that is quite low for a film that's nominated for a Best Picture at the Academy Awards, but it is a political film, um, and politics isn't everyone's cup of tea, particularly in the cinema. Uh, but nonetheless, Christian Bale is sensational. Uh, Amy Adams is also brilliant. Uh, and if you like The Big Short, check out Vice. Uh, still in cinemas, uh, nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, well worth Well worth seeing. In at number seven, we have Escape Room. Uh, this has taken £400,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £1.6 million, uh, and it's been in the box office for two weeks. Uh, we didn't like this film at all. Mm. Uh, it was entertaining, but it was uh, very, very silly, not very logical at all, and uh, was a little bit of a strange film. However, critics have seemed to mm. have um, quite enjoyed this film, and I know Marcus Gomez, one of our regular listeners, uh, did message us on Instagram saying that he actually really enjoyed it. Um and I can I can see why audiences are enjoying it, but at the same time, I I can't agree with it. I just mm. did not find it 
easy to to watch because like the whole time during the film I was just saying that's just stupid that's yeah. illogical that's just never going to happen and it just it was because it couldn't su- su- suspend my belief um, that's why it didn't work for me and I think it's the same for you really mm. isn't it I mean I'll be honest I thought Escape Room was atrocious uh, atrociously acted directed the plot was awful however like you said it seems to have got not only you know reasonable critical reception enjoyed it in, Injaudiences, <laughs> is that Newcastleans? That's that's a mix of in in I can't say it. Audiences and enjoyed. Oh. Let me try that again. Audiences have enjoyed it, um, and at the end of the day, if you're going to the cinema and you've seen this film and you enjoyed it, then I'm really happy for you. But for me, it was it was terrible. But you know what do I know? <laughs> uh, David, number six, please. So number six, we have Mary Queen of Scots that was starring Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan. It's been out for four weeks. It took £500,000 at the weekend, and it's grossed £7.7 all in, uh, which is quite a lot, actually, um, if you think about it. That's pretty much double what Vice has taken, um, and I would suggest it's sort of half the, the film that Vice is. I think Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie are brilliant. Uh, I think visually um, it's quite pleasing on the eye, um, but it's historically wobbly, and to be honest, I wanted more of Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan together, um, which... Again, it's not possible if you want to be historically accurate, but I think the director could have worked. We, we, we discussed possibly about them almost meeting each other in an, in an, in an imaginary scene, like in their mind. Yeah. Um, but no, overall, I mean, I don't think it's, it's the, be- the best piece of work that's out at the moment, but um, if you do like historical films, then uh, go, and, go and check it out. Yeah, I mean, the costume design is fantastic as well. So, I mean, that's one reason to go and see it because perhaps historically accurate in terms of the the look and the visual and the feel of the film, but mm. historically accurate in terms of um, story, yeah. perhaps not. Uh, so in at number four, we have Green Book. This took 1.1 million pounds. What about pounds. number five? Did I miss that? Well, there's a reason why I missed that. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. I just missed it. <laughs> uh, number five it is Glass. It took 600,000 pounds at the weekend. Uh, it's grossed 9.6 million pounds overall, which is a fairly large chunk of money. Mm. And it's been in the box office for... Four weeks. Um, we enjoyed it, but also did enjoy it as well. I mean, it was one of those films that M. Night um, un- definitely underwhelmed us, uh, especially me. Probably not so much you. Um, the soundtrack was amazing. The, the visuals perhaps wasn't so great. Mm. There was uh, Maybe not the visuals. Maybe the fight scenes were yeah. very underwhelming, and I think that's what didn't sell it to us. Indeed. At number four, we are now the real at number, number four. four. Uh, we have Green Book. Uh, it took one point one million pounds at the weekend, which is really quite good. Uh, Three point six million overall. It's been out for two weeks, and again, that's bizarre because it feels like it's been out for so long because we saw it such a long time ago. Yeah. Um, Vigo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali star in this wonderful uh, story about friendship. If you haven't seen it, I really must recommend you do see it. Um, it looks like the only film that can beat Roma for Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, and if I had to choose between Roma and Green Book, I would choose A Star Is Born. But <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, but no, uh, Green Book. It's 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 a beautiful film, and um, Mahershala Ali gives a, a stunning performance, and it's worth checking out just for that alone. Yeah. Uh, in at number three, we have How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. It took £2.7 million at the weekend. It's grossed £9.1 million overall, which is b- brilliant. Uh, and it's been in, been in the box office for two weeks. So, wow, 
That's a lot of money. Yes, uh, and uh, you know, I believe it deserves that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I hadn't seen the first two because um, I'd always always assumed, oh, you know, dragons, kids' films. Bleh. But actually, saw the third one. Um, was emotionally involved very very quickly. The animation was beautiful. It reminded me of James Cameron's Avatar. Um, wonderful on the big screen. Great colors. Get your. I don't know if it's in 3D, but if it isn't, make it three dimensional in your head or something. Um, get some. <laughs> Take some goggles or I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is great, it's great film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it, the first film, How of How Strange Dragon, is available on Netflix at the minute. So I think you should get yourself on that, David, and, and watch it. And then you can compare. Mm. You won't necessarily need to see the second one because you've seen the third one. You can connect the dots mm. almost from the first to the third. Yeah. I would recommend you do see the second one, but... Go and go watch the second, watch it, the first one. Sorry, because it, I think you'll love it. Mm. Definitely. I mean, it's on, it's on my uh, to watch list, which is getting longer and longer and longer. The more films you see, the more films you want to see and have to see. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that there's there's just so many films. I know. There's there's so many. Like I'm an unbelievable amount of films, and there's films that will you'll never see because they're not marketed. Mm. They're not out in the yeah. cinema, and they'll small, go right small over productions, your heads. foreign yeah. films, independent. Yeah. Um, we're now on to number two, but I have forgotten whose turn it is. Uh, yours. It, mm, yeah. I, well, I'll, I'll check that when we listen back, but I'll trust you. And number two, we have Alita Battle Angel. That has been out for two weeks, um, and it's taken £3.1 million pounds, uh, this weekend. Uh, this is directed... Sorry, this is produced uh, by James <laughs> Cameron. Uh, I keep getting that wrong, keep getting told off by, by Craig. We're reviewing it on today's show. It's a review that I'm looking forward to. I know Craig's especially looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, so do uh, stay tuned and listen to the review, which will be our first of the show, actually. Indeed. Uh, and, and finally, in at number one, we have the Lego Movie 2, the second part. It's taken £4 million at the weekend. It's grossed £4 million because it's only been out for one week. And we're going to be reviewing this on this week's show as well. Uh, and we actually talked to Jeff about this one as well. Mm. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, David, would you like to do your usual 10 to 1 breakdown of the uh, box office rundown? Indeed. So at number 10, we have All Is True. Nine, Mary Poppins Returns. Eight, Vice. Seven, Escape Room. Six, Mary Queen of Scots. Five, Glass. Four, Green Book. Three, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Two, Alita, Battle Angel. And at the top of the pile, at number one, it's the Lego Movie 2, the second part. So, our first review on Week 29 is Alita Battle Angel. This is directed by Robert Rodriguez, and he's working alongside James Cameron, who are both huge anime comic book fans, and uh, they bring us this technically very progressive movie. Uh, so what is Elita Battle Angel about? Well, it sees a female cyborg who is found uh, and later revived by a gentleman called Dr. Dyson Ido, a.k.a. Christopher Waltz. Uh, yes, that's Dr. Dyson. He is not the Hoover Company, but he is uh, Dr. <laughs> Dyson. Uh, it then transcends. <laughs> this female cyborg is a warrior from a bygone era. And it's currently the 26th century and it's 300 years after a societal collapse uh, has happened caused by a major war. And so the good doctor bestows the name Alita upon this cyborg. She has an, an organic human brain and she looks like she's about 14 years old. Mm. Her memory of the past remains gone and Alita must fight for survival. And when she fights, her memory sort of starts to come back. Let's take a listen to a clip. 
This body, it has the power I need. I feel a connection to it. I can't explain. This could be who I am. You've been given a chance to start over with a clean slate. How many of us get that? Why did an enemy warship respond to me? Because I knew that ship. I've been on others like it, haven't I? Haven't I? Oh, whatever you were, it's not who you are now. I'm a warrior, aren't I? So that is our clip from uh, Alita Battle Angel. And I selected that clip because it does give a lot of uh, range to uh, Rosa Salazar's um, portrayal of Alita. Now, she is a brilliant actress in this. First of all, how they've how they've done this film, how they how they, how how technically have they done this? And I'm getting very excited about this because <laughs> they've um, incorporated some technology from Weta. So Weta, who is Weta? Well, that's Peter Jackson's uh, VFS VFX visual effects company. And um, with Avatar, um, they did something very different. They placed um, live action motion capture technology of um, characters in a fake world. And so it wasn't so difficult for them to try and blend those two worlds together, the characters and the fake world together, to make it look somewhat real. But actually, it doesn't need to be so realistic. With this film, Rosa Salazar is in the real world. She's wearing the motion capture technology, um, and they are capturing all of her movements in the real world. So when they blend the CGI element of her in with the real world, it has to look realistic, but at the same time, it doesn't have to eat either because she is a cyborg. She is a robot at the end of the day. And they really managed to capture that essence. They've captured Rosa Salazar's um, facial expressions, the, her emotion, everything you could possibly want in, in trying to build an emotional connection with her. And my feeling with this film is that she is the most human character in the entire film, you feel everything with that, with her. You you feel the sadness, the happiness, and she's so happy-go-lucky as well. And it really, it really does affect you in that way. And um, I, I really love that, that way they did that. Um, this film is very reminiscent of of other anime films that they've done and turned into live action. Uh, most notably is Ghost in the Shell, which is actually available on Now TV if you want to watch that. Uh, and that stars Scarlett Johansson. Um, it's got other concepts as well from live action films, uh, such as uh, Robocop. It has a feel of Blade Runner in there as well. Um, just lots of different elements for different films. And, and, and it makes this one big film feel just very inspirational and taking pieces from lots of other films. And I like that. I really like it. But at the end of the day, it's still a very standalone film. It's still very... Uh, its very essence is still grounded and rooted in the anime that it was based upon, which I know you have some notes on about. Yeah, so um, James Cameron did convert, confirm in an interview that um, this is a combination of the first four books in uh, Yuk- Yakuto Kashuri's series of manga books, Motorball, um, from books three and four, uh, and also the storybooks one and two from that, from that series. Um, and you can see that. Uh, influence um, throughout the film. Uh, and what's really interesting, actually, is um, 
this is something that James Cameron's been wanting to do for a long, long time. So I uh, saw a, an article recently where it talks about Cameron had just come off a really grueling shoot of Titanic. Obviously, that film went way, way, way over budget. Um, and thankfully, it got it all back and obviously a lot, lot more. Yeah. Um, but Cameron had already set his eyes on, on, on you know, wanting to make this film. He had a couple of problems. Um, first, firstly, obviously, was the finding the time to do it because he already had Avatar in his mind. He'd just come off the back of Titanic. And secondly was the the technology that he believed he needed to to bring a film like this to the big screen wasn't really quite there yet. Um, but nonetheless, um, he called his good mate uh, Gilmero del Toro. <laughs> um, and it's quite funny, actually. So um, James Cameron uh, calls del Toro El Gordo, uh, which translates to the fat man. Um, <laughs> and del Toro calls him Jamito, which is a little gym. And they're, and they're good mates. And James Cameron said, you know... You know, they're both quite big sci-fi geeks and yeah. good mates. Do you fancy? And he said, no, Jim, you know, you crack on and you do it. And 20 odd years later, it's it's finally come to the big screen. And it is a film that's taken that long in the making because, I mean, the first thing I'll say about this before we talk about the performances and the plot, I, I just think visually this is sensational. Yeah. It's, you know... Obviously, doing this podcast, I see a lot of films in the cinema. All the films in the cinema, actually, even the bad ones. So you don't have to. And very rarely do I see something that makes me go, wow, in terms of visual effects. But this did. Um, and I didn't even see this on Super Screen. I didn't see it on IMAX. And I didn't see it in IMAX 3D. I saw this on just a standard cinema screen. And I was just, like, blown away by it. Some of the, um, some of the scenes in this are just jaw-dropping sensational like groundbreaking it's one thing that i've always said about james cameron you know how much i love titanic and i'm literally waiting yeah for titanic to come back on netflix or now tv or, or any of the online services just so i can review it on this podcast but i've always said that james cameron has been 10 years ahead of everyone else in the films that he's involved in for example titanic you know the visual effects in that um were 10 years uh, ahead of everyone else you know maybe more you know, I watched Titanic again recently, 20 years down the line. It still stands up. Avatar, that's 10 years old. You watch that again now, still stands up. And yeah, this, watched it a couple of weeks um, ago. This is, again, I think 10 years in the future. And it, and it's just brilliant, you know. And I, I just think it's it's a really interesting film. And I'm really surprised that there hasn't been a lot of hype around it. Well, the critical response has been rather poor to begin with, but since the film has been out in the cinema, uh, the weeks have passed and critics are actually starting to get on board with it a lot more. They take it for exactly what it is and it's a lot of fun. Mm. It's very um, deep-rooted in a lot of heart and and it's just a, a very, very good film. It is really entertaining. It's visually stunning, as you've already said, um, and it's brilliant. I mean, Robert Rodriguez is a very, very good, brilliant director in the sense that he gets involved in everything now a little bit of fact here um elita battle angel is, is uh, the first time rodriguez has directed a film since spy kids 2001 where he did not also serve this is <laughs> listen to this as the film film editor director of photography camera operator right. steady cam operator the composer production designer visual effects supervisor and the sound editor like all of his previous other films, that, that's that, like Sin City and all the other ones. That's a lot of roles. That That is a lot of roles for somebody who's directing a all film. All of the roles. Every, everything. <laughs> and and that's, that is ridiculous. ridiculous. Mm. But it's what makes his films brilliant. Mm. 
he gets involved and does everything and it makes the film that he wants to make. Obviously, James Cameron is, is involved in this and he will ground Rodriguez into a certain extent because mm. what I've read somewhere, an interview somewhere, was that James Cameron will want to make any technology in his film. So anything that is visually being shown as a piece of technology has to be able to work in the real world. Mm. You know, even if the technology is not available, it has to be able to have some sort of logic and be able to work. And it, that allows us to suspend our beliefs. The technology in this film suspends my belief. I can assume, I can predict, mm. and I can see whether or not this will, will work in the future. And that helped me believe that everything that I was seeing was real. The motorball scenes mm. were exquisite. Unbelievable. And it really did remind me of a lot of uh, Rollerball. I don't know if you've seen that film, but it reminded me of that. Um it there, I mean, this as like I said before, it takes a lot of inspiration from lots of different films mm. and combines it into one. But it's still its own film. It's still it's got its own heart, and I and I love that about it. Um, we we could go on for ages talking about this film. Really yeah, good. I mean, for me, wh- why I like this film, and I'm going to go out and before I say whether it's worth it, why I liked it was that obviously it's got the sensational special effects, but it's also got really likable characters. Yeah. Um. So Alita herself, um, is is a very likable cyborg. You know, it's. Somehow, like in in other sci-fi films where it's hard to relate sometimes to a a robot or a cyborg or or whatever, you can. You can relate to this individual and you you can feel compassion and you feel like you know her really well. I don't know if that sounds odd. No, no, no. That sounds really, really true. Ten minutes into the film, I thought like, I know this Alita. Have we met before? Um, And Christoph Waltz is in it and he is brilliant. I love Christoph Waltz, but I think he's great in this perfectly cast. Um, also Jennifer Connelly, um, she's she's great, um, and and so it's got all these likable characters. But at its heart, it's a good old Jim Cameron love story, uh, and th- and this is what I realised about James Cameron. He's just a big old softy. Oh yeah, Titanic fundamentally take away the terrible sinking of the ship, <laughs> which some might say is is the main part of the film. It actually, isn't Titanic is a love story, um, and it's about two unlikely people falling in love, you know, a guy who won his ticket to the Titanic playing a a hand of poker and a woman who is set to marry one of the richest men in the world. They fall in love. Avatar is about a human falling in love with a creature from a completely different world. You know, again, the two most unlikely people to fall in love, fall in love. And here you've got a a human falling in love or or potentially falling in love, a love story with this cyborg. And it's it's a typical James Cameron love story, but it's just like a love story that's literally out of this world. Um, I really want to see it again. Uh, I'm I'm surprised it's got 60% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that should be higher. I think that should be much, much higher simply because how on earth did he make this? It's just visually unbelievable. Mm. But I'm not surprised it's got a 93% audience rating, which is one of the highest of of, of any films we've reviewed on the podcast. Um, I mean, if I'm just flicking through my notes here, it's it's the highest of any on, on the show this week, and that is very, very high. Um, so unless you'd like to add any further things, Mr. Fields. Yes, the last thing that I'd like to add, uh, Cineworld uh, Watford invited me to see this in Screen X. Oh, yes, of course. How was that? And that was... Absolutely spectacular. So if you don't know what ScreenX is, it's a 270 degree mm. immersive experience. So you have your main screen in front of you and then the projectors are also projecting onto the side walls of the auditorium. Mm. Um, and there is a uh, Korean man who sits in the cinema and... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's 40X, isn't it? No, there is a team in Korea who actually put together um, the expansion of these parts of the set. So it's mm. not like it's just copy and paste 
pasted um, parts of the screen <laughs> <Copy> to, <and laughs> paste. <laughs> to, to to project onto the side walls. No, they have they have constructed mm. um, further expansion it's, to make yeah. it look like it's just a further panoramic of the scene, mm. and it's incredible how they've done it. Mm. Um, the thing that it hasn't done, though, it's not in every single scene. So yeah. you'll see it in um, maybe scenes that are worth seeing it in. And there's one scene in particular I thought was spectacular, and it's during the motorball scene. Mm. Oh, um, wow. And That must have been unreal. Oh, it was incredible. Now, you don't obviously need to look at the side walls whilst you're watching it. It just adds a p- different perspective. You get the peripheral vision, mm. and you and it feels like everything's moving around yeah. you. Um it, I didn't feel disorientated. Um, I, I felt like I was just completely immersed. Mm. And it's such a great technology. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what other films they bring out in ScreenX and how they can take the technology even further. Now, I know in Korea, they have combined ScreenX with 40X. Oh, my word. Now, that would be exciting to be part of. Oh, Wow. Yes. I mean, that that's unbelievable. Screen X, uh, obviously, you can go and check that out at Cineworld Watford. I, when Cineworld Watford opened, we went along and I saw some of their demos in there. And I was blown away. But like you said, you've got a regular screen and then it extends down the side walls. And it really feels like you're moving. It's a completely immersive experience. So, I mean, seeing this film in that, particularly the motorball scenes, must have been incredible. I would love to see Titanic in... 4DX Screen X and just go down oh with the ship. God. You're soaked, <laughs> saturated. Yeah, literally with water effects, special effects. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was really impressed by this film. And don't forget that I'm a person that pretty much hates... So I wouldn't say hates. I'm not a big sci-fi fan. It's hard for someone like you to to be, have your belief suspended. Yeah, but this 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 suspended my belief, but it was so futuristic. It was so mind-blowing. I had no choice but to believe it was real. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was rooted in its in its own world. Um, th- and I genuinely think, like Avatar, this is a film, undoubtedly they'll make a second or third. I'm looking, I want to see pre- prequels as well. Yeah, but I think this this is like the first. This is the, the appetizer. You know, I like my food analogies. This is just a little appetizer. I think James Cameron's got a, a full main course pudding and cheese board lined up um, with, with this one. Uh, so on that note, Craig... Alita Battle Angel, is it worth it? Yes, it's 100% worth it. It's worth seeing on the biggest screen possible. Um, I'd recommend seeing it in IMAX. I'd recommend heading over to Cineworld Watford and watching it in Screen X as well if you want to be the type of person who wants to see the latest film in the latest kind of technology. Um, If not, IMAX is perfect for this film. Super Screen is perfect for this film. Um, I mean, you can see it on any size screen, really, but to get the real visual effects, it needs to be seen in the cinema. It really does. Um, and you'll, you'll really embrace an IMAX experience with this, without a doubt. And you, and you would agree with that, I think. Yes, 100%. Um, of all the films I've seen since doing this podcast, this is the one that stands out as a must, must see on the biggest, best screen possible. IMAX, IMAX 3D, Screen X, 4DX. Um, visually, futuristic, sensational must see in the cinema Cineworld Hamill Hempstead invites you to enjoy its amazing facilities with 17 screens including a state-of-the-art IMAX super screen with dual 4k projection and Dolby Atmos sound 
as well as your usual snacks and drinks, take some time to enjoy a cup of the dark roast in the wonderfully open and modern Starbucks. And for something really different, why not check out some of the live events being broadcast from the Royal Opera House or the Globe Theatre? So, we've told you what's worth it. Why not come and see it at Cineworld Hemel Hempstead? Welcome back. It's now time for our second review, which is the Lego Movie 2, the second part. So what's this film about? Well, it continues on from the Lego movie. Emmett, Lucy, Batman and friends are living a great life in Bricksburg. When the Lego Duplo invade from outer space, life as they know it is torn apart. Years pass, Bricksburg is no more, and it's now a Mad Max-inspired world hardened by the destruction of the city. The only person that hasn't changed is in fact Emmett. He's still his happy-go-positive self. Until one day a new and more advanced enemy appears and captures Lucy, Batman and some other of Emmett's friends. Uh, Emmett must now travel into space and time to save his friends. Let's have a little listen to a clip. This is my vision of the future. Ta-da! A house? Come on, let me give you the tour. Very first one on the cul-de-sac. This is the living room where you can live it up. TV room, dining room, planties room, kitty cat room. And out back, a double-decker porch swing, so we can always hang together. What do you think? It's going to attract aliens and get destroyed. I just thought we could rebuild the future, make everything awesome again. (sighs) Emmett, you gotta stop pretending everything is awesome. It isn't. Every morning you walk through town singing that terrible, annoying, manufactured pop song. (laughs) That song really seems to upset you. No, it doesn't. So there we have a clip uh, from the Lego Movie 2. And I'll kick this review off by saying this is the first time I've experienced the Lego universe. (laughs) Um, I haven't actually seen the original. I haven't seen um, the Lego Batman movie either. So I went in, and I'm quite pleased actually, sort of completely blind, not knowing what to expect. Um, My first real thought on this film is it it was very full on. Um, I felt like the pace was... in some ways, too relentless. It was like bang, 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 scene after scene after scene, you know, song after song. There was a lot of colour, there was a lot of sound, and and almost you didn't have time, or I felt like I didn't have time to really appreciate what was going on. Um, I felt like it just needed a couple of scenes where the pace really slowed down. Um, I don't know if that's the way my mind works or or what, but I, I just felt it was a little bit relentless. And... Some of the songs I found really quite annoying. Uh, they they grated on me. But at the same time, it's it, it's got some really good adult humour in it, um, which I was expecting having seen the trailer and particularly Batman's character, which is probably why he's got his own spin-off movie, uh, the Lego Batman movie. I thought his, his character brought a really sort of dry and dark sense of humour to the film. Um, the the theatre I was in had a lot of children in, as you would imagine, who, who really enjoyed it. You know, this was a, a film that, visually is perfect for children because there's so much going on. It's almost like they're hip being hypnotized. You know, the, the children around me were, you know, jaws were hitting the floor and they were just being sucked in for, for the adults. It was harder. It was harder to really get into the visuals on the screen. But what the, the director's done is he's put in plenty of dark humor. For example, you know, Chris Pratt plays one of the main characters in it. Uh, and there's a real sort of reference, almost a, a bit of a, a spoof, uh, you know, taking the mick out of um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom um, with the ve- Velociraptors and, 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 and 
his character Emmett sort of training them and stuff like that so there's there's plenty in there for adults and there's obviously loads for kids but for me it was just a little bit too intense yeah um so for me it's I I actually really enjoyed the film um the writers Phil Lord Christopher Miller um recently known for um Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse um so we've already got a great combination of the team there um the first movie um, I saw a couple of years ago, um, and I I think it was a couple of years ago. Either way, it was when it came out, and I really enjoyed the first Lego movie. Then there was the Lego Batman film, which I thought superb. It was brilliant. Um, and then we had this Ninjago Lego film, a spin-off of another type of Lego, and that was okay. It wasn't mm-hmm. great. So now we've got Lego Movie 2, mm-hmm. and I thought... It was it was good. It was good. Mm. I get exactly what you're saying about there was so much going on the screen. It was almost very difficult to to follow everything that was going on. But what I really liked about this film is that Lego is inclusive. Mm. Um, so obviously the world that we knew from the beginning of the first Lego film was played by a young boy. Um, and now he's got a younger sister. And when the younger sister comes along, she's trying to play with her Lego Duplo to begin with, with in his world that he's created. And the way that that plays out on screen in the Lego world, you can quite clearly comprehend that that is her trying to join in and the brother fighting back in a way. He doesn't want her to join in with her. But you don't don't visually always see that in that way, but you get it, you understand it. And children would understand that as well. You know, siblings fight all the time and and, and mum and dads are going to get that. They're going to understand that. And the kids are going to understand that as well. Um, I thought Batman getting married to one of the Duplo queen people was hilarious. I thought that was brilliant. Mm. The cast, the voice casts are, are phenomenal. You know, Chris Pratt, um, you've got on there, Elizabeth Banks, um, the guy who plays Batman, Will Armit, who he's played Batman for throughout all of the Lego mm. films. Was It was superb. He's very dark and stuff. Alison Breeze in there as well. There's a good cast in here. You know, Will Ferrell's in it as well. You know, <laughs> another one. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's... A good film. It's good. Yeah, it, it's very solid. And like you said, I really agree how they incorporate the, the real world of, the, of these two children and they blend that into the Lego world. It had that sort of Toy Story feel um, where you not only relate to the Lego characters like you relate to the characters in Toy Story, but you also start to relate to the to the children as well. And one thing it did do actually was it brought back very vivid memories for me of playing with stuff like Lego or just a dinosaur toy and the chaos that would ensue in your mind. Yeah. Like with these very basic things and you would build these universes that would just be so incredible and fun and vast and you'd be telling your parents about all the amazing things that would happen and they'd look at it and go... It's uh, it's just a part of Lego, but actually, it, do you know what I mean? And that's yeah, what this yeah. captivated. It reminded me of my childhood. Um, one of my fondest memories of childhood was playing with a crane, a toy crane, um, with my grandpa, and it was literally just a toy crane. But this toy crane, let me tell you, Greg, oh, the loads of things happened. This was the greatest toy crane <laughs> ever. You know, Pixar. <laughs> pick up the toy crane and make a film out of it because that's what it was. It was just a toy crane. But for me and my grandpa, it was a whole new world. And and that's what this film does quite well. Um, Yeah. It has everything the first Lego movie has, but it's on steroids, I think, in my Mm. opinion. Um, And and maybe it's not, you know, the best thing by putting it on steroids. There's time travel in here. There's um, Back to the Future references. Mm. There's references to all the old Batmans and all the new Batmans. And it's funny, um, but it is visually overwhelming. And I will agree with that. Um, 
How about the music for you? The music can be quite annoying. Mm. Um, Everything is Awesome was a great track the first time around, and then they've sort of tried to push it a bit further out there, and that everything is awesomeness or something. I don't know. It was a bit grating, wasn't it? The music I would describe as very generic. It feels like it was written in an afternoon in in an office, you know, very quickly. Technically, it's pretty dire music. (laughs) Um, It's very simple to write, very... Yeah, very generic and quite annoying, but that is sort of the point. Kids, kids are going to love it, and kids you know, are loving it. And there's one song called "This Song Is Going to Get Stuck Inside Your Head," and the annoying thing is, it actually did. Um, the night after seeing this, I was I was in in bed, and it was you know lovely and quiet, and just drifting off. This song is going to get stuck inside your head. Oh no! Um, which I think sort of the idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, a, a worthy film. Would you say it was worth it then, David? Well, Craig, ask me the question. Lego Movie 2, the second part, is it worth it? Yes. Look, I'm going to say this is worth it because I think there's very few films that you can go and see in the cinema as a family. Uh, and this and this is one of them, you know. At the moment, it's something that the kids will love. The kids will love it because it's, it's bright, it's fun, it's exciting. And the adults will enjoy some of the darker humour that goes over the kids' heads. So overall, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable family film. And the nature of, of the way it's shot and, and the colours that are involved, it's something that needs to be seen on the big screen. I 100% agree with you on that. It is 100% worth it. See it in the biggest screen possible. It will visually entertain. Maybe um, for the adults, it might overwhelm you a little bit, but <laughs> the kids are going to enjoy it nonetheless. So it's now time for the part of the show where we have our special guest interview. Uh, Craig and I uh, travelled into London earlier in the week to interview presenter, podcaster and producer Jeff Lloyd. Uh, Jeff met with us to talk everything radio, podcasts and of course film. Uh, Let's have a little listen to our interview with Jeff. I mean, tell us about... um the podcast that you do with Ed Miliband and how did that start? So it's called Reasons to be Cheerful and it started, um, so I, I, in 2016, I was finishing up doing a radio show that I'd been doing for a long, long time in various forms. And I was thinking about what I wanted to do next and podcasting was the, the main thing. And simultaneously, I was feeling really depressed about the state of everything. Sort of Westminster <laughs> seemed like chaos. Yep. If you look over the Atlantic, this the stuff with Trump and the way that country is looked like chaos. Um, and I thought if you, cause, so I think I tend to or have always tended to follow the news a bit like other people follow sport. So I'm not really engaged, yeah. not really engaged in it, but I'll get a head up about it. I'll be watching it. I'll be interested in talking about it. And I was just too depressed by the news. So I thought if if I'm finding that too depressing, there must be ideas out there about how to fix things and how to make the world a better place. And And like, is there an idea for a podcast in finding out what those ideas are? Um, so that was my starting point. And I'd interviewed Ed in the run-up to 2015, the general election. And um, I just sort of really clicked with him. And I thought, I bet he heard loads of ideas when he was leader and probably still now as an MP. So I just wrote him a letter and said, do you fancy doing this? And he sort of wrote straight back and said, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so this is one of my questions. Did you know Ed before the interview that you did on Absolute Radio? Because that was considered one of the best interviews that he... That yeah, yeah. And, and no, I didn't. But I had seen him... I'd seen him speak at a couple of things. And... When I'd seen him speak, I thought, you're nothing. When I see you on Newsnight and when I'm looking at you now, it's like looking at two different people. Mm. Um, 
and it's you see it a lot with the news media. They make their minds up about who a politician is very quickly, and then they're only allowed to be that person. They're kind of you know you'll be asked questions quite aggressively, and you've framed in a certain way. And I wondered if it was possible to do an interview with him where I could draw out that other side of him. Um, and and it you know for for whatever reason that seemed to work quite well, and the. Both the Telegraph and the Independent said, "Is this the interview that could make Ed Miliband prime minister?" So I'm thinking to myself, "Oh, here we go now. I'll be in the House of Lords. <laughs> I'll be one of his cronies, be like Andy Coulson, but for uh, Ed Miliband." But it didn't quite work out. But I'd, at least I got a podcast out of it. Mm. So, and you pretty much went straight into doing that podcast after leaving Absolute Radio, didn't you? And 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 doing the drift as well at the same time. Yeah. So I I, I finished Absolute, I think, in the April. And then um, I had a, a few months where I was plotting these things, but I wasn't doing very much and I was really enjoying myself. And my wife said to me, one thing she said to me was like, I'd forgotten what you like when you're happy. <laughs> and then the other thing she said to me a little while after that was, you know, you can't afford to retire, don't you? <laughs> because I was just, I'd, I'd got these ideas for things I wanted to do, but I was just very much in, uh, oh, well, I'll meet some people for lunch. I'll talk to some people, but I didn't get around to doing anything until like the end of the summer. So I think a drift launched at the end of August and then um, Reasons to be Cheerful, which is the Ed Miliband one, was um, in September I think. Was that my tummy or yours? That was that was my tummy, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> I, I That's good. Well, I'm sorry for drawing attention to it, but I'm simultaneously glad it's not, it the, wasn't mine. The microphone mine. may have picked yeah. it up. Yeah. Tummy slash throat, I think. Mm. Strange noises. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, li- I like I like that, that idea though, Reasons to be Cheerful, like you said. I mean, with, with Brexit and Trump and then um, you know North Korea, the, the whole world, every, everything was doom and gloom. The, the news became really sort of. Um... You say this like it's the past tense. <laughs> you say <laughs> yeah. this like it's True. not currently depressing. Um, but yeah, I mean the news, everything has been real doom and gloom. So I think it's a great idea. Reasons to be cheerful. Yeah, uh, I did a similar thing, didn't I? Not in a podcast, but I did 365 days of positivity. Just tried to draw something positive from every day and post it on social media. And a lot so of- you like setting yourself little challenges. Yes. So that was one, and then this podcast and and trying to see everything in a week. That's another one. I, I'm a I like I'm a target driven person so if I set my mind to something I I like to do it because if if I I don't have a focus I'll get lost I'll literally just go into a tailspin I'll just wander off into traffic yes well (laughs) like that guy on the way here there was a man on the way here that was just walking straight across the road wasn't he car beeped didn't move his head at all just carried on walking it was it was spooky actually wow so Mm. it's reenacting the bittersweet symphony video (laughs) Yeah. yeah so obviously we do a, a film review podcast, uh, so we do want to talk a little bit about film. Um, I think the first question I want to ask you is favourite childhood film and why? Any fond childhood memories? Yeah, so obviously, because I knew you were coming up, I've been thinking about this. I was trying to think what the first film I ever saw at the pictures was, and I can't, I don't really have a strong memory of it, but I think it was The Rescuers. The oh, Disney yeah. animation, yes. um, and so I had to Google it, and that the the timing kind of adds up. It was nineteen seventy seven, so by the time it got to us, it'd probably be the end of the year. And we used to have a local cinema where I grew up in Macclesfield, 
called The Majestic. It was the one cinema in town. Mm. And it's funny, I was thinking about that you used to see these huge queues all the way down the street and round the corner every week, no matter what was on, because there were no multiplexes close by. And, you know, there were no multiplexes full stop. If you went into Manchester, you'd have Mm. cinemas with a couple of screens or three screens. So, so... Everybody would go and see everything. So one of my earliest memories is this snaking queue, which felt like it was taking up the whole of the town centre, which, of course, it wasn't outside the Macclesfield Majestic. Um, I'm not sure how majestic it would appear if you were to go back and look at it now. But, you know, sort of lots of red, red velvet. And then my two abiding memories of the cinema itself was there was one of those, I think like back in those days, local cinema managers were characters in their own right. Mm. So it was quite a rotund fella who always wore a tuxedo. And if you were any kind of trouble, he'd point out and say, you, early bath, and throw you out. And that was his catchphrase, <laughs> early bath. Um, and then the weirdest thing about the cinema, as, as I look back on it, is right next to the screen, they had been donated a, a clock by the local jewellers. So they, they had this horrible, it was a backlit fluorescent green clock next to the screen with the name of the local jewellers underneath it. And... I love the cinema, and, and, and you know, I just the reason I love it is because you get immersed in whatever you're watching, and even if you've got a big telly at home, you think, okay, I won't look at my phone. It's very easy to just go to the fridge or whatever, and I, I really like getting lost in the cinema. And you can't get lost in a film if there's an enormous clock next to the screen reminded you of, reminding you of exactly how long you've been watching it for. It's such a strange choice now when I think back to it. Um, but The Rescuers would, would, would in the first film I went to see, I think. But, I mean, the, the the strong film memory from my youth is Star Wars. I was obsessed, mm. like actually obsessed by it. So um, I guess I started school in 1977 when I would have turned five in 1978. So my school year would have started in 1977. And, and people were talking about Star Wars. So I heard about it before I ever saw it. And then my dad took me to the Odeon in central Manchester, which has been knocked down now, but it's on Oxford, Oxford Road in Manchester. And um, I... I don't know if this is a genuine memory or if it's just been repeated to me so many times it feels like a memory. But apparently the first time Darth Vader appears on screen, I went, Darth Vader! (laughs) (laughs) Like it was this enormous (laughs) surprise. So I'd obviously heard about Darth Vader, but uh, yeah, yeah, and it was, but and then I was just obsessed. in a way that when I talk to people my own age now, it feels like everybody was obsessed mm. with Star Wars. Yeah. But that's not my memory of it. I feel like I was the slightly odd kid in my class because I loved Star Wars and science fiction so much. Whereas it's, it's one of those things, like when the Lord of the Rings films came out, yeah. everybody loved the Lord of the Rings and everybody talked about how they loved it as a kid. Whereas I remember being bullied for liking those books. <laughs> so that wasn't the case, sort of being into sci-fi. And certainly where, where I was growing up or being into... Um, been into that sort of fantasy stuff wasn't for everyone i can certainly relate to what you're saying there about the star wars i mean david has grown up never watching a single star wars film so you but what you're doing is you're doing that on purpose now that you've got to a point where you want to try and get through your life without seeing any (laughs) no quite the opposite it's always been on my to-do list no 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 (laughs) i mean how long is that to-do list exactly and i I, i'm gonna have to have a star wars marathon this this is this is the plan to watch them back to back so if you were doing the star wars marathon Mm. would you then start with the george lucas prequel 
I think I would I would watch them in the order they were released, right? Yes. And then yeah. go back and watch them in yeah chronological order, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Having watched those prequels once, that you would have any appetite yeah. for going back and watching them again? Because we 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 reviewed. Um, solo a star wars story and we had one of our friends on who's a star wars expert send us an email and it was a good three pages of analysis yeah um, it was amazing but i i actually thought that was uh, uh, for me someone that had not seen any star wars films was a really good sort of introduction into so that so that was your first star wars yes. film right i was reading something earlier because uh, we'll come on to it because the the film i went to see at the pictures this week was mm. the lego movie too and right. i know those guys were slated to write the solo film anyway i was sort of doing a bit of reading up and and somebody described it as it ended up being the blandest of all the star wars films where i quite enjoyed it i, I thought it was really yeah. good actually yeah. yeah i thought it was good but we we were talking a bit earlier craig's a real sci-fi guy i'm i'm not so much so before doing the podcast seeing a sci-fi film is not something that i would go to out of choice you know much more into a a gritty period drama sort of thing right but, um, it's definitely on the because some people, if you say, "Oh, I'm, you know, I review films," what do you think of Star Wars? And you go, oh, <laughs> right. Can we talk about something else? You know, because uh, obviously it's probably one of the best film franchises of all time. Mm. So, have you have you do you watch anything on Netflix or Now TV or Amazon Prime or anything like that? It's, so, I, I feel old fashioned for saying this, but I t- if I watch a film, I tend to buy it on iTunes. And it feels weird to describe buying something on iTunes as as old fashioned, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm so such a lazy person. It will sometimes be the case that I'm sitting on my settee looking at a DVD on the shelf, and rather than take it out of the box and put it into the machine and find the remote, I'll just buy it on iTunes because I'll sort of figure, oh well, it's you know it's a collection of some sorts and they'll be it'll be there forever now. Uh, and the most recent thing I watched on there was I really love the Christopher Guest films mockumentaries um and you know the the had uh, been you find when you've got a little kid you're constantly trying to think of ways to entertain them and i'd been singing one of the songs from the film a mighty wind which i think came in about 2003 and it's a mockumentary set in the world of folk music uh and it's just brilliant best in show was the one that came before it which is set a it's a, a spoof of like a cruft style dog show. And then before that, there was Waiting for Guffman, which was set in the world of amateur dramatics in a small town when they think that's this big deal pro- producer is going to come and watch their Amdram play. And then sort of back, way back before that, you've got Spinal Tap, which wasn't directed by Christopher Guest. Um, but, you know, it's it's those guys. And the three guys from Spinal Tap, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer and Michael McKeon, who are the band Spinal Tap, are also in the film A Mighty Wind as a band. Oh, okay. And they play this band called The Folksmen. And the, the concept of the film is the the beloved founder of a folk record label has died. They'd had all these hits back in the 60s with these various artists, and now that he's died, his son wants to put together a tribute concert, so he's trying to get all the acts back together again for this one night. Uh, and the, the folksmen, who are the Spinal Tap guys, are one band. There's uh, a duo with um, you know Eugene Levy, who people might know best from the American Pie films as the dad with the bushy eyebrows. Oh, yeah. Um, and, he's, and he's with um, a fantastic comic actor called Catherine O'Hara. And I think now they are in a sitcom together on Netflix or Amazon called Shits, 
Creek. Have you heard about this? Yeah, uh, it does. Yeah, it so, rings a bell. Yeah, but does. anyway, I mean, basically, Christopher Guest has an ensemble of about fifteen people who he uses for all these films, and the way he does them is uh, he he will write what's going to happen in a story and let the actors improvise the characters. Yes, a bit like Curb Your Enthusiasm, although his mm-hmm. films predate that and they're just wonderful films i think for laughs best in show is perhaps the funniest one but for heart a mighty wind is the one and anyway this is a very convoluted story but i've been singing this particular song to my son from a mighty wind um and so it's been on in the house a lot we've been listening to it on the sonos and then my wife said oh should we watch that again and again i mean i've probably seen this film 20 times but it's so funny it's it's so good and it's it's got such a lot of heart in it. So I think that was the last thing I watched on iTunes. Okay. Have you seen very recently, I think yesterday, the trailer for Yesterday came out? And it's the Richard yes. Curtis and Danny yeah. Boyle film. So I know you're a big Beatles fan. Yes, I am. So I interviewed Richard Curtis a while ago for this radio show I do in America um, about the Beatles. And he told me about this film. And I think, it, I mean, firstly, I think like... Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis, mm. it's going to be a fun film. It might be a bit on the cheesy side, but yeah. you'll go, you'll cry, it'll be lovely. So I'm really looking forward to it from that point of view. I've got a slight problem with the concept in as much as they're talking about, you know, Ed Sheeran's in the trailer and they're talking about, oh no, but surely Coldplay Fix You is the greatest song ever written. And, and you know, my argument is those songs, those people, music as we know it, mm. culture as we know it, wouldn't exist without the Beatles being there in the first yeah. place. So, you know, they're obviously not going to get too wrapped up in the whole time travel, uh, alternate universe, butterfly effect of the Beatles not being in history in the first place. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you. You're looking forward to it. I'm very much so mm. looking forward to it. Big fan of the Beatles, so... Yeah, I'm very much so looking forward to it. You had a question about this, didn't you? Yeah, and we were, we were talking about this on the way over, and like you said, obviously, take take the Beatles out, it, modern music as we know it would be completely different. And the, the premise of the film seems to be that this one individual is going to re-release all these Beatles songs. Yeah. And I wanted to know, do you think now, if the Beatles released all their hits, how many of them do you think would be in our in our charts? Where well, do it's, you... it's a really good question, isn't it? Um it's a tough one. As it, well. is, it, it is tough. So, I wasn't alive when the Beatles were together, but you know the, these songs—they become almost like nursery rhymes. We've all heard them. But many of my favourite songs are Beatles songs. So I'm thinking I am somebody with contemporary-ish taste in music, and yet I still would elevate those songs above many others, and in some cases, all of this. So I do think they stand the test of time. In that way, I'm not sure. I mean, I think some songs, Hey Jude is in the trailer. I think that definitely would. I think Mm. Yesterday is a a melody, definitely would. But I also have thought about if Paul McCartney was to write a song as good as Yesterday, it it would most likely sink without a trace. It wouldn't become as big Mm. as Yesterday. Because with anything to do with music, it's not just how good the song is. It's the converging of of the the time you live in as well and what else is around and just these different factors. Mm. So I I do think the songs are good enough by and large and there are very few Beatles songs that I wouldn't sit here and give a very passionate defence (laughs) of. But I, I, I think maybe some... I'll tell you what's interesting to me. So they put all the Beatles songs on Spotify a couple of years ago. Mm. So you obviously can go on Spotify now and, and it will rank the songs in order of 
the, the amount of plays they get. And what's really interesting to me is the the song that is the most played Beatles song on Spotify is Here Comes the Sun, which is a George Harrison song. Mm. So you can say, okay, Lennon McCartney, the greatest songwriting duo of the 20th century and yet the song that in the digital age that people listen to more than others isn't even one of their songs mm. which is saying something actually yeah. yeah that's something i was got in terms of when you're at the cinema any pet hates i mean craig has a number yeah his, his biggest pet hate is he's he if he books a seat yes. he will sit in that seat and if yeah. he gets there and someone else is in that seat they're moving oh he's right yeah yeah he's yeah whereas i'm a right. bit more like if someone's there I'm 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 all right no, with that. No, 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 no. I had an awful. This does. I'm going to tell a story that doesn't reflect well on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I uh, what's your, what's your uh, what's your policy with profanity on this podcast? Um, we we tend not to swear, but I'll okay. bleep it out. Okay. No, 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 it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. That's good to know. So, I uh, I am not an assertive person. I am a very diffident person. I don't like conflict at all except in the cinema, where I'm not looking for it, but I have a real zero-tolerance policy with people looking at the phones, people talking. I mean, I think it's it's okay to sort of lean over to whoever you're with and go, is that the guy we saw before? Yeah. But to have a conversation, I think, what's what's wrong with you? That's not... it's. You're not at home. There are other people. Be respectful of the mm. people who are in your environment. Yep. And at the same time, I am terrified of people and i'm worried they're going to beat me up so so i've, I've before now I've, I've been out and like grasped people up to the usher mm. but then waited for somebody else to go to the toilet mm. before i've done so so they don't know whether it was me or the other person who grasped them up i mean i've but there was this but i'm quite an assertive shusher in the cinema so even though i'm not <laughs> assertive at all in real life, I'll, I'll turn around and go sure can you stop talking please like that so we went to see uh and again, it was since my son's been born. It was a really good film. It had Amy Adams in it. It was a bit sci-fi-ish. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, give me a bit more. Arrival, maybe? Ah, yes. Arrival, right. yeah. Which is, you know, like a lot of sci-fi, it's it's science fiction, but actually it's about the stuff of life and it's beautiful. Yes. And I was loving this film, and maybe, you know, especially so because... I was a parent. I was finding it very moving. And there was a couple, a couple of rows behind, in fact, just one row behind me, a few seats to to one side, who were talking throughout. So I'd get a glimpse at them and i look at them and think, okay, they are similar types of people to me. They're in their 40s. They also look a bit bookish. I'm not scared. I don't think that they're going to stab me. <laughs> so I'm going to very aggressively shush them. So I shushed the guy and then he says, sorry. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, they're talking again. And this goes on and on throughout the film. And towards the end, it's getting to its emotional high point and they're talking again. And I turn around and go, can you be quiet, please? And they go, sorry, sorry. And then I hear them laughing at me. So instantly I'm seeing, you know, I'm getting the red mist yeah. is descending on me. And then they start talking again. I go, mm. shh. And then I hear them say something and then just laugh. And then I just lose my temper. I turn around and I say at this volume, so I'm no longer whispering. I'm with my wife. It's a packed cinema. It's Saturday night. I say, I did not pay money to listen to you pair of, and then I use the worst word imaginable. <laughs> One can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, so not only at that point have I taken myself completely out of the film, 
I've taken them out of film. I've taken everybody around us out of the film. I've ruined, I've whatever effect they were having, I've made it worse than it was. Yeah. And and not only that, I've just said like the worst word in a packed cinema of people. So I am terrified. And my wife is like clutching my hand and she's going, <laughs> you are not turning around again. And we are not leaving this cinema until it is completely empty because she's worried it's going to end up in a fight. Meanwhile, I'm worried it's going to end up in a fight to the extent that I, even though I think the one of the worst things you do in the cinema is, is get your phone out of your pocket. I've suddenly got my phone out. I've put it to video mode and I'm ready to record the guy. <laughs> if he starts trying to fight me, I was going to hold my phone in his face and go, I'll, I'll put it on YouTube. I'm gonna put, you'll go viral. You'll go viral. <laughs> And it was just awful. But I, I, I mean, I've got such a temper on me for people not behaving correctly in so the cinema. I, yeah, I'm so I hate it so mm. much. I don't like people going on their phones. No, I don't like people eating loudly. Yeah, I don't like people eating smelly foods. No, um, and I don't like yeah drinks slurping and no. ice shaking. And, and I like oh. some of these posh cinemas where you can go and get nice food. Yes, and I know it's annoying, but that's part of the contract of going to that cinema. That's that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> don't bring Kentucky Fried Chicken into the cine world because that's not the social contract. The social contract is what they've got for sale there. Yeah, uh, uh, they've got some popcorn. They probably got some natural. That's that's okay. I can deal yeah. with that. Yeah. I saw, saw someone <laughs> once bring Tupperware and get like a start getting a roast dinner out of foil. If David could do this, he would do this. <laughs> well, we, we, as you can imagine, we've been to, going to the cinema. We see a lot of stuff, and we've seen arguments. We've seen shushing. We've mm. seen fisticuffs. Mm. Um, but the pet hate for me is the talking. Mm. And like you said, it's not. Oh, we've seen this person. But we, oh, we've had people that have been having full conversation. Oh, yeah. isn't he good in um, yeah. Coronation Street? Yeah. yeah, he's got. Oh, pass the popcorn, please. Yeah. Or oh, they're talking about something unrelated yeah. to. Oh, I yeah. just think be aware of people mm. around you. And, you know, for, if you're breaking a rule, the question you have to ask yourself is, what if everybody broke this rule? Mm. And if everybody broke that rule, <laughs> you wouldn't be, be able to, it would be carnage. You wouldn't be able to hear a film, so don't do it. I had a row with my wife. We go on a Saturday morning, we take my son. Um, they do like a toddler's club at our local um, cinema. And we were, a couple of weeks ago we went and the thing we were watching was awful. It wasn't even a film. It was five episodes of something off CBeebies shown back to back. Okay. We always sit in the front row because he likes it. And she got her phone out to start checking her email and she was doing it quite discreetly. I was like, no, no, because... I understand why you're doing that. It doesn't matter. There's kids running around. It's carnage in here. What we're watching is completely uninteresting. But there are other people in the cinema, and what you're doing is setting a bad example. What you're yep. doing is saying, oh, it's okay to start getting your phone out in the cinema, and the next time they're watching something like Arrival, maybe they'll do it and take somebody else out of the moment. You have to be very hard-line with these yep, things. I agree. I agree. I think the, the worst that I've ever seen was 10, 15 minutes into a film, this bloke comes in, cinema's packed, you know, a couple of seats left. He's got two popcorns, huge. He's got like a drink under his shoulder. He's got a hot dog balancing on the, the end the of that The mime arm. you're doing is very good. At, and, yeah, I really yeah, well, wish this was a, a video No one podcast. could see it. Yeah. But he's, he's got so, you know, he's got half the half the cinema. And then he goes down the road, oh, sorry, sorry. And you can see the yeah. mustard falling yeah. on people and yeah. popcorn. And, and then he gets halfway down. Yeah. Then he sits down, looks at his ticket. And you're thinking, it's 25 minutes into this. You'd sit there, he goes, yeah. oh, no, wrong seat. So he goes oh, back Jesus again. <laughs> and by the time he gets to his seat, half his Popcorn's gone, yeah. the hot dog's on the floor. Oh. See, I would introduce a no latecomers rule. 
it's interesting because actually. if you yeah. look at the cinema times in the, in the in the online or in the paper or wherever you look at them, it'll show my age there in the paper. <laughs> but you, you've got a, you've got a margin of error. Mm. Shoot for whatever time it says, and then if you're a bit late, you'll maybe turn up during the trailers. Mm. Don't just instantly assume. Don't add in your head twenty five minutes, and that's what you're shooting for. Because yep. again, other people are there to get immersed in this thing. And you'll ruin it for them. By t- mm. It's awful when people come in, there's light, there's noise. It's really irritating. I absolutely hate it. And I've never actually missed the start of a film until yesterday. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I what mean, happened? What's your excuse? Well, we went to TGI Fridays before to go right. um, and, and eat first. And it was taking ages with the service. Mm. And we couldn't leave before obviously paying the bill. Otherwise, we'd be <laughs> running away and not paying the bill. Illegal. Um, yeah, and, yeah, very much so. Um, so we left with about 10 minutes to spare to run across and go and go and I thought 10 minutes should be enough time to you know walk in on the trailers the film had already started Mm. somehow and it was about probably 10-15 minutes into the film I don't know how that happened some sort of time loop it's it's very stressful and and I was very upset with myself and the worst thing is is the same film it was Alita Battle Angel I saw that was it last night or the night before it all blurs into one long film I also missed the start, and I wasn't even that late. So I'm, I, I don't know if this film they just go really like really straight into. So your it. listeners aren't going to get a good review of that film then, because well, the, you know well, they're I've not going to get. Okay, okay, <laughs> they're going to get a review. The whole the whole film is it worth it? I can tell you if that's worth it, apart from the first four minutes. <laughs> so you have to decide and email the show and tell us are the first four minutes worth it or five minutes? It might make it or break it. You never know. <laughs> so you mentioned what you went to see. The new Lego movie. Yes. Do you want to give us a maybe a little synopsis, and then finally, obviously, the most important question: whether or not the film was worth it for you. Yeah. So I, I decided to watch it because I'd seen the original Lego movie on a plane mm. because some friends of mine, a couple of friends of mine, I think, who work in comedy, had both said you've got to watch this thing, and I, I, I just assumed it was going to be terrible. In, in the way I assume the emo- emoji movie is terrible because it's like, what an awful idea making Lego into a film, what an awful idea making emoji. Um, but some, somebody had assured me it was really good. So I watched that on a plane. And, and this is... Um, this this is why I, I feel like such a charlatan being on your podcast because I really love films, but I'm not at all a film buff and I am almost incapable of retaining a film in my memory to the extent that, you know, I will often watch something a second time over and not realise that I've seen it before. If you ask me to describe the plot of, say, The Graduate, which I've seen I don't know how many times, I'd sort of say, well, there's a, there's a guy, he's a graduate and there's an older woman and there's something about a future in plastics. <laughs> I'm really incapable of, sort of remembering films in a, in a linear fashion. But I remembered I'd seen the Lego film on a plane and I'd really found it funny. Mm. Um, so, so, so that that was why I chose it. Um, and as the film started today, I thought I can't remember any of these characters. I know Will Arnett played Batman, but I can't remember anything about the plot of the original film. So, if you if you listen to this, hoping for me to tell you what's going on with those characters and where <laughs> it picks up, I, I kind of I kind of can't because I can't remember the first film enough. Um, but I, I guess it's it's more 
of the same. I think if you are a grown-up watching it, you're watching it for the jokes. And the joke writing is really good and very self-referential. Mm-hmm. And especially, I guess, if you listen to this and you're a film fan, that it's it's very sort of lots of in-jokes about the film industry. Um, so I, I can give you a synopsis if you like, but it feels a bit odd giving a synopsis of a children's film it's in a certain way. Craig? Well, we would have reviewed this earlier on in the show. Okay, so you've done the heavy lifting. So we've lifting. probably done the heavy You've lifting. done the heavy yeah, lifting. Yeah. In which case, you know, what, what the, I've got sort of two thoughts on it. One is I, I found it very funny. Mm. Secondly, I, I found the animation exhausting. So I think never what if, if it's all, it's almost a joke, you know. When what was the film with um what's his face Sandra Bullock in space and George Clooney? Gravity. Gravity I remember yeah. people saying, "Oh, you've got to see it on an IMAX film." So my little joke at the time was, "I want to see it, but I'm waiting until I can see it on a little little screen on an aeroplane," mm. because like nothing is ever better on those screens. <laughs> but the the Lego the first Lego film I found a lot less exhausting mm. because it was on a tiny screen. Um, because I, I'm sure this is age. I'm sure this is, you know, one of those signs that the world has moved on and I haven't moved on with it. But the the animation was just a little tiring for me and a bit much, and I couldn't quite follow what was going on on the screen in the way that I maybe can in a Pixar film. Yes, mm. I I have to agree with you on this one. Actually, yeah. um, I haven't obviously done the review yet because we're doing this interview before we've done the main part of the show. But from when I saw the film, it was the animation is almost overwhelming because there is so vivid and so much going on yeah. in every single corner of the screen. Your eyes don't know where to look all the time, mm. and I'm sure that's because it's it's obviously made for for children. Yes, and their concentration levels are a bit less than us, so it's like throwing so much at the screen for them to to to, to concentrate. And also, on. it's not a depiction of a world that you would exist in, even a cartoony depiction of a world you would exist in. So it's a cartoony depiction of a world made made out of Lego. Mm. So everything to me is sort of unfamiliar (laughs) because of that, because I don't play with Lego. Um, But I mean, I I thought it was great. I didn't enjoy it quite as much as the first one, but I thought there were plenty of jokes in it. And um, yeah, I think if you've got kids who love the first one, they will enjoy it. I always feel slightly strange as an adult going to see a children's film oh, yeah. on my own. <laughs> well, we, we get this quite a lot in the podcast. Yeah. So yes. we, we obviously don't see everything together. And, and uh, what's the one? A Dog's Way Home we saw the other day. Well, that's sort of an adult's <laughs> film. Yeah. What was the real, real kids, some of a few of the real children's films? We've, I mean, Peppa Pig, for example. <laughs> um, fairly soon, yeah. So you that... haven't had any parents come up to you and say, what's your problem, mate? What, what are you <laughs> no, not, not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. yet. Yeah. But Peppa Pig's due out, and we, we're trying to get out of it, but um, we're not sure if it's going to be showing in yet but you always do feel a bit odd how yes. to train your dragon although actually when i went to see how to train your dragon hidden world there was mostly adults in there yeah um but no it is always uh weird if you're the only adult in a kid's film but we've always said to get the balance right and i think that's what the lego movie does is it yes. has that vivid animation for the children and then that dry often dark humor yeah for the adults which is a bit like um 
Isle of Dogs by Wesley Anderson. Oh, I Anderson. loved that film. You yeah. loved it? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. really loved it. That we, was the first film I think I, we managed to get out to see at the pictures after my son was born and I just adored it. I mean, I, I feel like a little bit of a cliche because, you know, I'm a man of a certain age with a beard, so I'm mm. going to like Wes Anderson films and I, I like them, you know, all to a greater mm. or lesser extent and I thought that was just wonderful. Yeah, we, we gave that a, a good review. It's obviously nominated for a number of awards uh, and it's actually nominated for Best Animated Feature at, at the at the Oscars but yeah that's a perfect example of it's more of an adults film but it's got that childish you know element Nature, at heart yeah. with, yeah. with, with yeah. The, obviously the story um, Craig do you want to ask Jeff the question yes Jeff yes the Lego movie 2 is it worth it definitely if you want to take your kids yep. to see something and they are of that age I think they'll love it I am always on the lookout for a comedy. I think there are so few good comedy films. And I was really hoping that it would scratch that itch for me in a way that transcended just being a kid's film. And it didn't quite. So if you're thinking, I really want to go and laugh at something, I don't think it's quite going to do that for you. So definitely worth it as a kid's film, though. Well, thank you for 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 coming mm. round. Yeah, no, thank you for having us. Not at all. Yeah, yeah no, it's been uh, it's been fantastic. Um, so obviously, brilliant to have you on the show and uh, hear be, a bit about. Beware me if you see me in a cinema. No, no, I'm <laughs> yes, a, I'm like a vigilante. If I, if I ever see you in a cinema, when I get the, the the flash in the cinema, or when people take a Snapchat, oh, in the oh, it's no. it's bad. It's bad. Scum. <laughs> So that was our interview with Jeff Lloyd. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff, for uh, uh, allowing us to come to you and interview you on the podcast. It was a really great night. Uh, and thanks for the chocolate as well, by yes, the way. Yes, we're, we're still eating the chocolate now and enjoying it. And, and, and I will say again, it comes in this fabulous envelope. I've never had chocolate, chocolate from an envelope before, <laughs> um, but it was great. Yeah, and uh, thanks for coming on, Jeff. And yeah, we had a really good time. And uh, also thank you for your review of the Lego movie. Indeed. Uh, next week, our guest interview will be Ranjit, who is a Cineworld Hemel Hempstead employee. Uh, we're really looking forward to having mm. him on the show because he's going to be talking everything about uh, film projection, the past, the present of film projection, uh, the services that are available in Cineworld Hemel Hempstead, and also the films that he's seen lately. Now, he's a great person to talk about mm. like that. He is very knowledgeable, and uh, every time we come to the cinema, we always sit down and have a chat with him about it. And uh, we felt that it was going to be a really good way of um, exploring films with somebody who has a similar knowledge to us, if not more. 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 More of Tom's Chili. More of Tom's Chili. Yes, I'm most definitely looking forward to that interview next week. Welcome back, and it's now time for our next film review, and we will be looking at Boy Erased. Now, this film focuses on Jared, uh, an American college student who is fantastically played by Lucas Hedges. Jared is an only son, and his parents are strictly religious, most notably his father, who is a Baptist preacher, uh, again, brilliantly played by Russell Crowe. Uh, after being left with no choice but to open up to his parents about the true nature of his sexuality, Jared is forced into conversion therapy, uh, into a conversion therapy institution named Love in Action. This institution, forcibly run by Victor Skies, played by Joel Edgerton, tries to do the impossible and make Jared change his sexuality. Before we dive into our review, let's take a listen to a clip. 
Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm gonna give you some advice. Play the part. Show them it's working. You're getting better. Fake it until you make it, right? You don't want to end up in one of those houses for any length of time. I've heard the stories and they're not good. And that's where you're likely going to end up. Sarah's already there. So play the part, man. And then once you're home, you got to figure out what to do next. So for those of you who uh, are unaware, Joel Egerton is flexing his directing muscles here as well as appearing in the film. And he does a really, really good job of adapting uh, the screenplay, who, which is also res- written by um, uh, Jared, um, who is, the film is essentially based upon. Uh, and then t- they've worked together in producing a, a film which is absolutely fantastic. I'll go straight in and say that. Um, Joel Egerton is not really known for his directing uh, abilities. He's known more for his acting stuff. We've seen him in a lot of films. Um, he's done a couple of films, um, but this this is the real big turning point. Um, it's, it's a year where we've seen, well, I say a year, it's the last two years we've seen a few directors who have pulled off shooting uh, films that they have also starred in, and Cooper, Bradley Cooper did this superbly with A Star Is Born, and I think Egerton has has followed suit massively. Um, and this movie is is completely on point. It doesn't take sides, mm. it but it allows us to ask questions and and develop a deeper understanding of what these correction therapy places are. Coming from somebody who isn't religious, it allows me to ed- it educates me in the religious side of things and it, it educates me in the lgbt community side of things as well um since i'm a member of neither of those communities it really does give me a real good insight and it, it allows me to take not, not a preference as to which side but it just allows me to get get that understanding um david you are a religious person mm. so for you the questions that it poses did this have any preconceptions and then you came out of a different um, understanding or yeah so I, th- I think that's a really great question actually Craig and I mean well, I totally agree with you with the fact that this film is very balanced uh, so my biggest concern going into the film was I mean this is difficult subject matter um, firstly for, for any young man or woman coming out to their parents as, as gay is difficult and we, we see how tough that is and that was portrayed in um, another great film Love, Simon and what this does is it not only takes obviously that issue but it also brings in the religious aspect as well and it doesn't preach on either side that's what I like about this it, it, it just gives you the evidence the, the pretty much the facts and, and Joel Edgerton does that particularly well at the end where he actually gives you the facts about how many uh, conversion centers there still are in the states and how many states believe in this kind of um, ultimately you would suggest pointless con- conversion therapy um, so yeah uh, from a religious perspective I, I didn't I didn't struggle to watch it um, I certainly didn't agree with with the with these centers I didn't agree with their their methods um, but I didn't feel like 
the director had had said, oh, here's those terrible Christians and look at the terrible things they do. He just showed us. He showed us what they're like and he and he basically said, you be the judge. Um, and, that, and that's what I liked about this film. It, like Love, Simon, it wasn't in your face, it wasn't preachy, which is where something like Vice, I think, fell down, where it was a little bit biased. I mean, the film has a brilliant opening um, and a very clever opening. So it starts with lots of childhood shots, uh, photos and uh, clips of... Uh, Gerard when he's um, younger Uh, and this shows innocence it shows vulnerability and it gives us an immediate connection with that character Um, because as soon as you see someone as a child as a boy you you, you have that connection with them on a a human level Um, Lucas Hedges is is sensational in this film he gives such a brilliantly layered performance so many different emotions you know you can see sorrow anger how he's really struggling. And what I like is that when he doesn't say anything, you can see that internal battle where he's literally fighting against his, his you know, what he's been born as clearly naturally gay and, and, and then having to try and come out to his incredibly religious, you know, Baptist preacher father who's played by Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's brilliant in this. Um, you know, compared to his gladiator days, he's, he's bigger, he's older, and, and he plays this very sort of stoic, old, what apparently wise sort of Christian uh, minister who's actually completely missing the point. Nicole Kidman's in it as well, and she's sensational as as always. I loved the film. I loved the pace of the film. I loved the message of the film. I loved the way it was shot. had a sensational soundtrack. Um, Danny Bensey and Saunder Durians um, produced the soundtrack, and it's it's wonderful. You can listen to it on iTunes and Spotify as well. Uh, and uh, Johnsey, who's an Icelandic musician, collaborated with uh, Troy Sivan on the song Revelation, which is the top on, on the track, and that was also brilliant. Um, I just thought this was a, a, an incredible film. It's the first time that Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman have been in a feature film. Like you said, Joel Edgerton is credited as a director, writer, and actor, and somehow he manages to do all three brilliantly. Um, I would go as far as saying it's one of one of the fav- one of my favourite films since doing this podcast. Uh, everything that I like about a film, the drama, the acting, the soundtrack, it was just brilliant. It's not the first film of 2018-19 that touches upon this. Um, the Miseducation of Cameron Post also did that. I haven't seen that, but how did it compare to that for you, Craig? Um, so The Miseducation of Cameron Post was... It was a brilliant, brilliant film, but I feel like it was a very, it was much more, it was way preachier. Mm. Um, but this film didn't take that to an extent. It posed questions and 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 made you try and pick and choose what side you wanted to to, to take and and build your understanding of what was going on. Um, yes, correction therapy is wrong. That's a fact, one hundred percent. The relationship between the uh, between Jared and his parents that was a really nice, unique look at how somebody is coming of age and and un- and understanding themselves and allowing them to grow with this awakening, almost this understanding of himself. And with the miseducation of Cameron Post, it it said more with action than with words. Mm. And I felt like this film actually used words as well as the action in much greater detail. Um, and you saw a lot more of the emotion. Um, it was, it, this is, it is a sensational film and mm. it really, I, I, 
really would have liked to have seen it pick up some awards, but it could be something that comes next year. It might have been a little bit late in the game for that. I am, like you said, I am really shocked, in fact, that, I mean, Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, but particularly Lucas Hedges, you know, Joel Edgerton, first time, you know, not first time director, but this is, you know, his first major piece of work. Um, and, and you said there about, you know, conversion therapy is wrong. Obviously, that that's something we agree with. But the, the fact is that a huge proportion of America not only believes it's right, mm. they still believe in, in, in carrying it out. And that's actually what the director does really well. He gives us the stats at the end of the film. He says, this is how many states still use it. This is how many people go through it each year. Um, and, and on the back of that, of what you've just seen, you think, my word, this is something that needs to change. You know, And actually, it's an important issue. Uh, and several... Um, studios and, and producers were fighting over it. Feature films, uh, sorry, Focus Features uh, won the rights to the film in a bidding war against Annapurna uh, Pictures, Netflix and Am- Amazon Studios. So there was a lot of people who wanted to get this film out and rightly so because I think it focuses on a very important issue and does it in a sensational way. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, me too. Uh, so David, if you haven't got anything else to say, I will ask you the question if that's okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what's the name of the film again? <laughs> Boy Erased, is it worth it? Yes, uh, this is 100% worth it. Uh, it's got a critic score of 81%, an audience score of 74 on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's brilliant. I, I absolutely love this film. It's one of the best films I've seen since doing the podcast. I really can't find a fault with it. Um, I thoroughly recommend seeing this uh, in the cinema as well. And, and if you don't manage to catch it in the cinema, buy it on DVD. I think it's a must-see film. Yes, I believe this film is definitely worth seeing in the cinema if you can get round to seeing it. Um, if not, watch it anyway Where when it comes out on streaming services, when it comes out on DVD, which it will no doubt come out before. Digital download is always out much earlier these days. I mean, even a film that I'm going to talk about later on in the show is already out on DVD or digital download. So yes, go and see it, whatever method you need to. The adventure of the cinema being swept from scene to scene, from underwater exploration to otherworldly intergalactic space travel. And for just $17.90 a month, you can see unlimited films at Cineworld Cinemas anytime, any day. Get 10% off cinema food and drink, plus 10% off at Cineworld Starbucks. Enjoy 25% off food and drink at Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca and Belgo. Plus, there's preview screenings of upcoming releases and secret screenings throughout the year. With films like Captain Marvel, Toy Story 4, Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters, John Wick 3, Aladdin and Pet Cemetery. now is a great time to join. Use the code ISITWORTHIT and that's all one word and get £10 off your first month's payment making it just £7.90. So why not join today at cineworld.co.uk. That's right, indeed. It is now time for the news, and I'll kick off with some sad news, and it is the news that Downfall's Bruno Ganz has passed away at the age of 77. Uh, The actor had been battling cancer, and unfortunately that battle has been lost, and he has passed away. Um, 
he was a Swiss-born actor. He had a substantial and respected career. Over many, many years, he'd worked on the stage, in television, and in film. Um, but he's probably best known for his portrayal of Adolf Hitler in the 2004 Oscar-nominated film Downfall. Um, this not only got him you know, a lot of uh, critical uh, praise in Europe, but in the States as well. And it's a film that if... Um, our listeners haven't seen, I would thoroughly recommend. It's a German film, it's subtitled, but his portrayal of Adolf Hitler is sensational, chilling. Um, I think it's one of the greatest on-screen acting performances of, of all time. It would certainly be in my top sort of 20 on-screen performances ever. Um, he's passed away at the age of 77. Um, you know, may he rest in peace, but brilliant, brilliant actor. I'd love to see this list that you've got. I, I'm more than happy to bring this list of top 20 performances of all time. Yeah, I, I, I 100% would like to see this. I mean, we can compare. We can do a whole episode saw, based oh, on it. Oh, bonus, no. bonus episode. Okay, I thought you were being uh, no, sarcastic. No, no, no. But no, it definitely would be yeah, in there. Yeah, that'd be a good, um, good list to have. Another one, for example, would be Leonardo DiCaprio in The, a in the Aviator. You love Leonardo. He is superb. <laughs> anyway, in other news, Craig, <laughs> what have you got for us? Um, I have got that Bond 25 release date has been pushed back yet again. So the release date now is April the 8th, 2020. Um, the original date was November 2019. Um, but after Danny Boyle left the project um, over creative differences uh, and uh, director Carrie uh, Fukunaga signed on, uh, the release shifted back to the 14th of February 2020. And so it's gone back yet again. Um, a film that uh, I think we're both very much so looking forward to seeing. It, it weaves in the uh, original story from the Casino Royale and I think it's going to have the penultimate end because it is Bond 25. It's the 25th Bond film. Um, really looking forward to it. Daniel Craig is back again in that tux um, mm. with his lovely um, gadgets and killing lots of people. And uh, it's basically the, the film that we want to see is going to be happening on this big screen. And I cannot, cannot wait for it. Mm. So uh, the fact it's been pushed back has actually upset me greatly. Indeed. Uh, my second piece of news, and it's about the Oscars, trust me to pick the Oscars, but it is that the Oscars will now air live all of its categories. The Academy had made this bizarre decision that they were going to um, present some of the awards during the adverts believe it or not. So the ceremony would be live, but actually during the ads, they would hand out awards, including, you know, best cinematography, film editing, um, hair and makeup, uh, live action short. I mean, completely ridiculous. I mean, cinematography and film editing are two of the biggest awards. Yep. Because, you know, you take away the editor and the cinematographer, what have you got? <laughs> you haven't got a film. You've got a lot of reels of film sitting, collecting. Raw footage. Yeah. So the Academy have got this absolutely right. I mean, there was a huge amount of controversy when this when this was announced. People kicked off. The Academy have looked at it, released an initial uh, uh, an official statement saying we got it wrong. The whole thing's going to be aired live, and rightly so. And I hope um, BAFTA take note of this and next year decide to go for a live showing of the BAFTAs. It will be better for film uh, and it will it will be better for for the industry. We want to see these awards and we want to see them live. I thought yeah. the, the BAFTAs this year was incredibly disappointing. It would be great if they can find the right person to present it. So they find the right person to to do the BAFTAs and have it live. The Joanna Lumley live would be a car crash of a TV show, without a doubt. I mean, people that spring to mind, I wouldn't be against Jonathan Ross hosting it. Done it before? Yeah, I mean, Stephen Fry's done it. Uh, for me, it, it, someone like Russell Brand. Uh, I think Russell Brand, he's mm. intelligent, he's yeah. articulate, he's very good at, you know, 
speaking uh, live, he'd be great. Uh, I, I mean, I'd love to see Ricky Gervais do it. Um, yeah. similar to his Golden Globes, but it wouldn't quite work. But actually, I think Russell Brand, because he is very British and intelligent and, you know, is flamboyant, he would be he would be really quite good. But I think the, the, the British Academy of Film need to have a look at how they do the BAFTAs. And I totally agree with that bit of news. You know, it's right that everything, including cinematography and editing, should be aired live. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, a quick plug for our bonus episode. We are going to be putting that out after the Oscars, so mm. we will know every single award that has happened for all of the awards season, and we'll be discussing it in great analytical detail. Um, David is currently um, busy with a typewriter, typing up his script, mm. um, paper flying everywhere. There's uh, chaos being created as David produces the bonus episode for uh, the awards season special um, so for my final piece of news, uh, it's yesterday trailer uh, unveils Richard Curtis's and Danny Boyle's uh, Beatles comedy. And we spoke about this with Jeff. Uh, it's a film that I am really looking forward to. I'm a big fan of the Beatles. I'm a big fan of Richard Curtis and I'm a big fan of Danny Boyle. So the combination of all of those things brought together will uh, have no doubt um, take me to the cinema to go and see this. And um, the film stars... Um, Himish Patel as uh, Jack Malik, who uh, happens to awake one day after a car accident and uh, the Beatles no longer uh, exist. And he is the only person that remembers all of the Beatles songs and that they ever existed. And for some reason decides to become a, uh, a musician. Uh, well, he's already a musician, I believe, but he starts to use their songs for his own benefits and uh, becomes very rich and famous by the looks of it. Uh, the trailer looks hilarious and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think you might be as well, maybe. I'll be honest, I, I'm not. I have seen the trailer, and it, it wasn't my cup of tea. However, uh, we see all of the films, including the bad ones, so I will be seeing it and reviewing it. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. Uh, well, we shall find out. And in other news, woman mistakes dynamite for candle. <laughs> and that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So it's now time for our next review, and this is All Is True. It's 1617. William Shakespeare's final play has been played. The renowned Globe Theatre has burnt to the ground, and Shakespeare is devastated. He vows never to write again. William returns home to Stratford to his wife and grown children. They are somewhat estranged from each other. This is the story of William Shakespeare's later life, haunted by the death of his only son, Hamnet and he struggles to mend the broken relationships with his wife and daughters. He is forced to examine his own failings as a husband and father. Let's take a listen to a clip. Mr Shakespeare? I don't want to pester you. Good. Excellent news. Cheerio. I just wanted to ask you... The best way to get started as a writer is to start writing. No, really, could I just... I don't have a favourite play. I admire all my fellow dramatists equally, and yes, I do think women should be allowed to perform the female roles, as is the practice on the continent now. Please, if you'll excuse me. I just wanted to ask how you knew. Knew what? Everything. So, as we mentioned previously in uh, the intro, this is directed by Kenneth Branagh. It's starring Kenneth Branagh, and it's written by Ben Elton. And the clip that we just showed you there was a fan who approached uh, William Shakespeare at his home and, and basically wanted to know how he managed to produce all of these works, all of these bodies of work, without actually visiting some of the places that he depicts in his plays. And for him to be able to do that poses some big questions um, 
in the world where where we've always been asking these questions over hundreds of years, did Shakespeare write these plays? People have said that Marlowe might have written them. Um, various different uh, playwrights over the years have written under the name Shakespeare. What we do know is that William Shakespeare existed. His family existed. Uh, his estate assist, uh, existed. So, therefore, this man must have written it. And Ben Elton and Kenneth Branagh believe that William Shakespeare is the true writer of these plays. And they portray a, an old Shakespeare who's at the end of his career, at the end of his life, and is now returned home to make amends with his family. And the version that we have here of William Shakespeare that we're seeing on screen is really Kenneth Branagh paying tribute to William Shakespeare. His love for Shakespeare is huge, and we know that because he's portrayed Hamlet on screen. He, he directed a, a four-hour epic mm. uh, film, which was just a masterpiece of a very um, a beautiful film and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, for me, Shakespeare is one of the all-time best playwrights and they very much state that in the film. Um, every character that he interacts with knows that he is the best playwright in the world and they've said this so many times. Um, for me, Hamlet was great. King Lear was great. Um, a Midsummer's Night's Dream. I could reel them all off mm. to you right now, but um, stick, try and stick with the review really and try and analyse this film. What I will say straight away is that I loved the film. I really did. Um, however, critics didn't. And you've got, I think you've got some stats there about that, haven't you? Uh, well, actually, I mean, on Rotten Tomatoes, the, the, the critic score is quite high. It's 76%. But when you, when you delve into it and look at some of the reviews, this is a Marmite film. And, and it's a Marmite film because it's, it's working with Shakespeare. And that is always really, really tough because if you try and modernise it, you're, 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 you're in dangerous territory. If you go for a biopic or a biopic, as we were talking with Jeff, we're never quite sure what, what, <laughs> what to say. It, it's difficult. And you're, you're never going to be able to appease both both people, you know, the average cinema goer and the diehard Shakespearean. Now, you love Shakespeare, but you're you're probably not the real heavy critic who, you know, who, wherever they go, they've always got an old copy of Hamlet under their arm. You know, there are some <laughs> people that live and die by the works of Shakespeare. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if you do anything about Shakespeare, it, it's, it's got to be 100% accurate. Whereas actually, the, the reason I like this film and possibly some of the critics don't like it is because, like you said, it really is Kenneth Branagh's thank you almost a love letter to to Shakespeare because yeah. you know Branagh has starred in uh, five Shakespearean films adaptations either as a movie, uh, director or an actor obviously many more on stage and he's your real traditional Shakespearean um, actor and what he brings here isn't you know necessarily a really historically accurate biopic or biopic of, of Shakespeare's life but it's an interpretation of the end of his life. And it's one that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I mean, one critic that, that, that I saw, you know, reviewed this and, and they called it a revisionist fiasco, which I think is totally wrong. They said it was, you know, too dense with Shakespearean illusions while too, you know, casual as well for the real um, diehard Shakespeare fans. And I think that's totally wrong. I thought Kenneth Branagh did a sensational job with this film. I mean, when I saw the trailer, I was slightly concerned. I thought this isn't going to be the kind of film that I like, but I like it. It's it's not very cinematic in some way. Some of the scenes, some of the set scenes are very much like a play. Two people throwing dialogue back and forth with a fairly static camera motion. But once you come away from the um, 
those scenes and you've got some of the outdoor scenes, it is quite cinematic. So I don't agree with some of the critics that said it isn't very cinematic, but I, 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 I like the characters. I like the way it boils slowly. I like the way Branner plays Shakespeare. I think Judy Dench is great. Uh, Ian McKellen's in this. Uh, and there's a yeah. sensational scene where McKellen and Branner are sitting by a fire um, and they're talking and they also quote Shakespeare. And it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to listen to. Um, really, really enjoyed that scene. And I, I know you like that scene as well. Well, yeah. So the the brilliant part of that scene is the relationship between Shakespeare and the Earl of Southampton. So the Earl of Southampton, played by Ian McKellen, as he just said, um, it alludes to a, a bisexual relationship between the two. And over the years, there have been many people who have spectated, or not spectated, have speculated, sorry, um, whether these we, these two people actually had something, had some sort of love for each other over the years. And there's very, various poems that um, theorised as being written for the young Earl of mm. Southampton. Uh, Venus and Adonis was one of them, um, and uh, The Rape of Lucrece, um, he also wrote one where he addressed it to a beautiful fair youth, which many people believe that was the Earl of Southampton that he was writing that to. Um, and this scene that they've imagined that these two people meeting at the end of their lives and pretty much talking about this fact, mm. but whilst making it allude to this fact as well at the same time, they're not to the point, um, is is a beautiful and powerful scene. And I think Kenneth has done a really great job in directing that scene. Yes, it might seem a little bit staged or theatrical in that sense, but you've got to combine those two elements together. This is about a man who wrote many plays. So the film is going to transition, um, not transition, but translate in a theatrical mm. kind of way. You kind of have to embed that into the grain of the film. But also you have to make it cinematic at the same time. So I agree with you um, where you said that it is cinematic, but it's also kind of not at the yeah. same time. But I think they did a great job at making it cinematic as well. I mean, the way it opens, mm. the uh, silhouetted version of Shakespeare and the, you know, seeing his dead son reappear in like a ghostly sort of form talking to him. I thought that was great and very and very cinematic. So I don't get what the critics are saying there about. Yeah, that. and and one of the things we obviously see Shakespeare at his home at his estate, and he and he takes up gardening because, like you said, the globe has burnt down. He he's written so many good works. He's he's getting on, and he sort of thinks I'll take a bit of time to myself and a brilliant relationship um, with Judy Dench, who's who plays his wife in the film. And you know you can see that J Judy Dench's character, you know. Shakespeare has been away for many, many years, writing plays, producing plays, um, and and he's almost not been a husband. And there's a great scene where he's very animated and saying, "Well, I put food on the table. I've given you this house. I may not have been here in person, but I've 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 given you everything that a wife could want." Um, and I just loved this film. I really did. I I thought I was going to struggle with it, and it and it is quite slow at times, but it's a a pace that boils. And 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 it just builds up. And yeah. also, I tell you what, I was so so surprised at the humour in this film. I was just going to say that is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there is some real laugh out loud moments. One that comes to mind quite early in the film. We've got a court scene, um, and I, I won't give it away. But if you've seen the film, you'll know what I'm referring to. That's an incredibly funny scene. And you know, the clip we listened to as well. You know, I I just really enjoyed this film. And finally. You know, and our regular listeners know, that films don't make me cry. I seem to be incapable of tears. Now, I didn't cry during this film, but I got a real big lump in the throat because yeah. you got a, a 
real connection to um, Branagh's portrayal of Shakespeare and also his his children and his wife uh, and some of the characters around him. And the end of the film is is really good and quite emotional. And I tell you one thing that um, I researched as well that I thought really summed this this film up was the fact that in one of his scenes uh, with Judy Dench, Kenneth Branagh was actually sp- supposed to directly cite uh, lines from Shakespeare, but he got it slightly wrong, uh, and Dame Judy Dench started to laugh at the mistake. Obviously, both of them have performed a lot of Shakespeare, particularly on the stage, so she immediately yep. knew that's wrong, so she laughed. So Kenneth Branagh, in character, sort of says, you can probably finish it, which she promptly does, and they actually keep that in the film. Now, the reason that I think that perfectly sums the film up. It's because it's a film about Shakespeare and Shakespeare himself misquotes his own play and then Shakespeare's wife finishes it. And that just shows that Branagh isn't, he's enjoying this. This is a, a love film. and he, he said, It's a love letter to Shakespeare. It's a thank you to Shakespeare for, for everything he's done. And I just thought that scene actually not only really worked, but it showed that Kenneth Branagh was just they were all having fun on set. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, the entire cast were brilliant. We've got Catherine Wilder, who plays uh, Judith Shakespeare, and she's worked with Branagh before on some uh, live theatre productions of Romeo and Juliet and A Winter's Tale. And she had a small role in Murder on the Orient Express as well. So she's almost been building up to working with Kenneth on the big screen as well. And this is her big role for her. Um, you've also got uh, Lydia Wilson, who plays Susanna. Uh, and she's been in previous uh, Richard Curtis films as well. So obviously... Um, yeah, just 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 brilliant. Um, the film is funny, as we said. It reinvigorates our love for the Bard, and it's a unique look at one of the best playwrights ever. And that's the best, the best Come playwright on. ever. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so, would you like to ask me the question, David? Yes, I will. Um, Craig, all is true. Is it worth it? That was my Shakespeare there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to ask it in Shakespearean, but Craig, is it thou worth it? <laughs> That play is worth it, yes, uh, very much so. Um, this is so worth seeing on the big screen because it's just, it really draws you in. You're in a darkened room and you can really enjoy everything about the film. The surround sound will invigorate yourself into the film. And uh, yeah, I mean, just I just love it. If you don't want to catch it in the cinema or you've missed it in the cinema because it may have gone out, then catch it on streaming services, catch it on DVD, buy it on whatever. It's 100%, 110% worth seeing. It's a real passion project for Kenneth and uh, and Ben Elton and uh, I yeah I really enjoyed it what about yourself I totally agree I really recommend this film I just thought it was brilliant like I said it's not you know your historically accurate gritty biopic it's Kenneth Branagh's interpretation of the last you know few uh, weeks months years of, of Shakespeare's life and his interpretation I think is fantastic I really really encourage people to go and see it Is it worth it? Cinema at home. Yes, it's that time again where we review films that are available for cinema at home. Uh, and this week we'll be taking a look at uh, High Flying Birds. So this is directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, it's the last film that I saw in cinema of his was Unsane, which starred Claire Foy. And it was an outstanding film. And if you want to watch that, I recommend you watch that on Now TV uh, slash Sky Cinema. Um, High Flying Bird is a Netflix original, and it is um, 
about a MBA lockout during a, um, I'm not sure what a lockout actually is, but Basically, basketball isn't being played because new deals need to be made with the agents, etc. And a sports agent pitches this controversial business opportunity to a rookie basketball player who has now become a professional basketball player. What is unique about this film is that it is, yes, a Netflix original. Um, and it's also shot on an iPhone 8. So uh, Sonnenberg is renowned for now choosing strange devices to shoot on and Unsane uh, was shot on the iPhone and this is the next film that he has, uh, he has shot on the, on the iPhone. Um, what I particularly liked about this film is the fact, A, yes, it is shot on the iPhone and B, is going into detail, some detail now, very technically, about aspect ratios and Netflix and, and the way that they approach their business. So Netflix liked to deliver their films in an aspect ratio called 18 to 1 or 2 to 1, uh, which is something that uh, an, a cinematographer um, developed um, called Univision. So you can shoot that on film and it will produce the 18 to 1 aspect ratio. Now your TV, uh, when you watch films at home, are in a 16 by 9 aspect ra ratio. Now, if some uh, films uh, usually on film are shot in a 2-3-5 to 1 aspect ratio, I know, a lot of num numbers. 2-3-5 <laughs> to 1 is, is very cinematic. Now, when you watch it on a 16 by 9 TV screen, you get the big black bars at the top. If you've watched a film that is shot like that and it doesn't have the black bars at the top, the uh, screen is cropping the image. So the image is being cropped and the direct you're not seeing the director's vision of how it was actually supposed to be delivered or supposed to be shot. So a lot of times I will look on IMDb and see what the aspect ratio is of the film. And then if it's cropped on Netflix or Amazon or on TV, I will not watch it because it's not the true <laughs> vision of what the director is I delivering. Love that. That's brilliant. Now with, with the iPhone 8, it is generally going to be shooting in a 16 by 9 aspect ratio. But what uh, Sonnenberg has done that is really clever is use a device called a, a Moondog anamorphic uh, lens adapter. So you can put uh, anamorphic lenses onto, um, onto the phone. And... What this allows is, A, a uh, uh, an anamorphic lens is very cinematic. It will squeeze the image into a 2-3-5 to 1 aspect ratio. And by using an app called Filmic Pro, which is something I use quite a lot, it can de-squeeze that image and gives you a true cinemascope 2-3-5 to 1 aspect ratio. Now, why is this strange? Well, first of all, Netflix, as I said, chooses 18 to 1 aspect ratio, which is the middle ground between 16 by 9 and 235 to 1. It doesn't crop anything that much. So TV shows or TV films will be shown in the true form that it's supposed to be in. Netflix will be showing it in the true form that it's always supposed to be in. And... The why, reason why it's really, really, really strange that they've chosen this is because Amazon are very strict in now delivering that format and the certain cameras that you have to use. So they've really taken a gamble or Stephen has really sold it to Netflix that this is the way forward or it's a unique way of looking at the film. And it really is. With the iPhone, you can get in to places that you, can, you can't really get mm. in, into places with bigger cameras. So... I'm getting really technical here, but Ari Alexa Mini, it's not really a mini camera. It's still quite large. It's a very cinematic camera, has amazing dynamic range. Um, so with the iPhone, it doesn't have the same dynamic range. And you can see this in this film as well. So there's scenes where they're in offices and there's a lot of dialogue going on backwards and forwards. And 
outside of the window, it's very bright. Mm. In, and inside, to compensate for that, you need to produce a lot of light. But Sonnenberg doesn't really do that. He, he uses the natural light coming through the window, but still manages to get an absolutely brilliant picture quality from the iPhone. And it's outstanding that the way he's managed to be able to do this and shoot on a device mm. such as an iPhone that everybody has pretty much got in their pocket and shoot an entire film on it. Um, it, is, it is absolutely brilliant. Um, obviously, I've probably talked a bit too much no, about not, aspect ratios. Not at all. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I, th- I think it's fascinating. You know, when we were talking earlier in the news about cinematography not being included, possibly in the live uh, showing of the Oscars. Well, it needs to be because, like you just said, the way a, a film is, is brought to the big screen, the cinematography for me is always huge and it's always great to learn uh, but I just like the idea of you flicking through the aspect ratio. No, 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 not worth it. Um, but yeah, and what was the actual film like though? In terms of you know the the, the acting, the the plot was it was the, it... the acting was good. It took a long time to build up to anything dramatic happening. But the way uh, Stephen has shot the film, it's brilliant because the dialogue is obviously very heavy, and the way he's brought the iPhones into the scene, and it starts off on a wide, and as the dialogue becomes more and more dramatic, he brings the cameras in for tighter shots, mm. and you can actually see the cameras moving in, not physically, but cameras being placed in different places, and they get right into the, the, the actors' faces. Um, and, and that does a really, really good job. And I, I'm, I am going to talk a bit more about aspect ratios a bit later on with If Bill Street Could Talk because mm. um, it is another film that actually relies on, on a different aspect ratio to most films that have been shot on. Um, but yeah, again, Netflix, the reason why I think Netflix have taken this bold move is because they're trying to now push as many films out as possible. Mm. So at least every week now, there are two brand new Netflix original films, which is why we're doing a lot more in cinema at home like this. Exactly. And... They're also pushing more films to be in the Oscars, which we've talked about mm. before. So with Roma being at the Oscars, which a lot of directors have kicked up a fuss about because they do not believe it should be. Steve, Steven Spielberg being the, the, the biggest example there. Yeah, he's really out, been outspoken about mm. it. Um, but they really do believe that the films they're making should be seen or considered for awards. Mm. And yes, some of them should be, but I uh, this one, I'm not so sure. Now, I enjoyed watching the film, but it did feel like a TV, a lot of a TV film mm. in in some respects. Despite the fact that it's been converted into that two five, uh, two three five to one aspect ratio, which is obviously very cinematic. Mm. So it had the black bars at the top. It's exactly how the director is how he intended it to be seen. There's no cropping going on. The film itself is very dramatic. It's very good. It's but it's not. I would recommend people watch it if they are interested in his films, but I don't think people are going to be interested in it from the very beginning. Mm. And for somebody who is not completely au fait with the NBA um, lockout, who mm. doesn't really understand it, it's it's not Moneyball. Moneyball, anyone could watch that. Yeah, um, one of my favourite films, actually. I think Moneyball is, is yeah. wonderful. Yeah, Brad Pitt... Um, and mm. what's the other actor's name? I've forgotten now. It's not Seth Rogen. Um, <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot. He's been in. He's been in so much. In, in, Wall, uh, if, uh, Wall Street. Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. Wolf Street. He was actually in that comedy to start his career. He's a he brilliant was. actor. I'm Why so sorry. I've forgotten his name. That's terrible of us. We are supposed to be very good at this, but we are not quite clearly. But either way, I'm actually going to say this isn't worth a watch if you if you don't know what his films are like. If you've seen Unsane, it might be a good watch. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's for me, it wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it. It took me a long time to try and understand and build an understanding. And again, it's another thing with Netflix films. It's it's you know trying to sit down and watch it whilst you're at home. And I know you gave it a go, but you were watching it at night. It, you were quite tired, and it just was really hard to get into, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was actually nothing to do with the quality of the film. It was simply my disorganisation trying to squeeze <laughs> it in late so I could also talk about it and had a very busy week. I can, however, save you somewhat by telling you that the fantastic actor's name is in fact Jonah Hill. Yes, that's it. Um, so it's one of the, we won't cut this out of the podcast, but you know, it's one of those things, you know, when your mind goes blank, but the mind did go blank right there. Yes. Um, so that is sort of my review of that film. I wish I could have brought a bit more about what the film mm. is, but for me, it actually went, a lot of it went over my head in, in that respect, in terms of the NBA and the lockout and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, moving on mm. for other things at Cinema at Home, you have some films you'd like to recommend. Well, yes, uh, two films, one which is on Amazon Prime and one that has just come out on DVD, but thanks for that, Craig. It's always great to hear about the technical side of the films, something that I'm not as knowledgeable about as Craig is. Uh, what I am knowledgeable about is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio films <laughs> uh, and I'm going to be recommending one of those now it's on uh, Amazon Prime and it's called What's Eating Gilbert Grape it also stars Johnny Depp and Juliette Lewis uh, it came out in 1993 um, and this is a sensational film Johnny Depp is brilliant and Leonardo DiCaprio is also fantastic it's one of his first sort of major films and it's a film that got him noticed by Hollywood um, and a lot of critical acclaim um, it's, a, it's a story about family um, Gilbert Grape is played by Johnny Depp uh, and his younger brother um, Arnie is played by Leonardo DiCaprio uh, and Arnie has um, you know developmental issues learning difficulties and DiCaprio plays him so well uh, and Johnny Depp's also brilliant in this film it, you know it's it's 26 years old now uh, but it's a film that you can watch uh, at home and you'll be captivated by it it's brilliant acting performances it's available on Amazon Prime and if you've never seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape I really recommend it it's acting at its finest was there another film? Yes. Uh, well, would, <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, for people who listen to the podcast, they know that I'm a fan of this film. It is A Star Is Born. Um, we told you that it was available on digital download a couple of weeks ago. It's now out on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, and if you haven't seen this film in the cinema, I can't recommend it enough on, on DVD and Blu-ray. Get it. Get the family around the television. If you've got a good sound system, turn it right up and enjoy it. It's a brilliant film. Um, and a film that for some reason has been snubbed by all of the major award ceremonies. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, then potentially tune into our awards ceremony special, which will be coming out in the next week or so. Yes. Um, but another film that is available for digital download, David, is Bohemian Rhapsody. Ooh. Now, I know we had some differences about the film, but we enjoyed watching it nonetheless. Um, it is available on iTunes for a digital download. It isn't available on DVD or Blu-ray just yet. That I'm sure that'll be a few weeks' time. But it is a film that I will recommend that you watch on uh, on iTunes and possibly purchase. A lot of people did actually really, really enjoy watching the film and will probably want to watch it again. And if you didn't catch it in the cinema, it's worth a watch because obviously Rami Malek has won uh, Best Actor at the BAFTAs um, last week. And so you're probably going to want to see his performance if you haven't seen it yet. And just judge for yourself whether or not you fully was uh, worth winning that BAFTA indeed and that is cinema at home is it worth it cinema at home
home. It's now time for our final review on this week's show, and this is If Bill Street Could Talk. So this is Moonlight director Barry Jenkins returning with an adaption of James Baldwin's novel um, If Bill Street Could Talk. Uh, It's the 1970s, and Tish is a 19-year-old African-American living on the west side of Harlem, New York. She's madly in love with Fonny, who is also an African-American, who is a few years older than she. Uh, He is a kind and warm man and loves her deeply. It's unfortunate that Fonny is sent to prison for a crime that he did not commit. Tish discovers she is pregnant and is determined to get Fonny released. The film flits between the tender loving moments of how the pair fell in love and the journey Tish is going through after Fonny is thrown in prison. Let's take a listen to a clip. Here we are. Hey, I know it doesn't look like much right now, but um, well, we're not done. You see, you gotta, you gotta imagine that there's like walls all the way up and down here. And I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah. See, Tish, it's, it's not done. It's a work in progress. Ronnie, I'm sorry, but how are we going to make this into a home? Look, look, imagine there are walls, right? Over here and over here. But where are we going to cook and sleep and bathe? I mean, where are my mama and them going to sit? Easy. Look, I put a couch right over here. Huh? Mama, daddy, maybe even Ernestine. Right? And the bed I put all the way back there, right against the wall. So I can see that pretty light on your face when the sun rises. Some of my sculptures over here and, and over here. Right? As far as eating goes, I was thinking, I was thinking we could put a table right here. What you think? I don't know, Fanny. As far as I'm concerned, the only thing we're missing is a fridge. I don't want to throw my back out before we even have a chance to make a kid. Hey, Levy. Come on, give me a, a hand with this fridge, man. Uh, you, you want me to? Yeah, come on, help me out. I need you to get the door. Get the door, come on. All right, all right, okay. you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, you ready? I'm ready, three, mm-hmm. two, one, up. Oh. Okay. Uh, All right, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, okay. slow me now. Okay. Careful. All right, why am I straining more than you? <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Right on back here. Yeah, right here. Perfect. Woo! That sure took a load out of me. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> but what a man wouldn't do for love, eh, Levi? Amen. Well, thank you for my fridge, boys. But don't forget about my stove. Oh. Oh, yeah, of course not. Uh, you mind helping me out with the stove? Not at all, Leave no. Me? All right, we got to make sure we get that. So I absolutely love that clip. Uh, in that clip, you've got Stephen James, uh, Kiki Lane, and Dave Franco, and they're standing in this space in a building that's wide open that is going to be developed into sort of flats, housing. Um, and Tish... Uh, who's played by Kiki Lane, can't envisage how they're going to live here and what it's going to be like. Uh, So Fonny, um, played by uh, Stephen James, starts to describe it and then she still can't imagine it. So he literally mimes with Dave Franco picking up a sofa and picking up a a fridge or a, a cooker, whatever it was, and putting them in place. And 
you know, listening to that clip, it's great. But when you visually see it, it's one of the nicest moments in the film. It's 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 really just warming and lovely. And overall, that's what this film is. It's it's about love. It's about heartbreak. It's about a, a black American being imprisoned uh, for a crime that he didn't commit. Um, and it and it touches on the themes of racism quite heavily, but in a again an unpreachy way and. Uh, just a very it's a love story in essence but there's obviously l- lots of other themes uh, around it i mean director barry jenkins who also who also directed moonlight i think's on top form here um and i have to say i thought kiki lane was um sensational she's a relative newcomer but her performance is brilliant you know regina king has been nominated for a number of awards uh, best supporting actress she favorite to win best supporting actress at the oscars but actually uh, i'm not saying regina king doesn't deserve that i'm just saying i think kiki lane was was brilliant so was uh, stephen james uh, it's a beautiful film but it is heavy it, it's a heavy film and and it's a quite a slowly paced film um but you forgive that because the cinematography is sensational. Jenkins uses cinematographer James Laxton, who also worked on Moonlight, uh, and, and it visually is one of the most beautiful films. It's one of those films that you can just sit and watch and just go, wow. You know, almost like you, we looked at Elita Battle Angel and go, wow, look at those special effects. But this is wow. Look at what he's done here, how he uses light, uh, silhouettes. Uh, there's a lot of scenes where he uses smoke and mist and things like this. It, it's sensational. And also um, Nicholas Brittle uh, produces a, a haunting and beautiful score. Um, it's got, a, a, again, I love my soundtracks and this has got a great soundtrack. Um, and what it does is it beautifully enhances um, the on-screen action. It's a technical masterpiece. You know, I think it's got a 94% critic rating uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, whereas its actual audience rating is much, much lower. Its audience rating is 69, which is probably fair because it's not a film anyone can go and watch and say that's a bad film because it just isn't. But it's a film because of its pace and style. Some people won't come out going wow, I really enjoyed that, but 94% for the critics because it is, you know, a technical masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Going back a little bit, as you said, essentially this is a, um, it takes a deep analysis look at the prejudiced nature of African-American people in the 1970s. And it's also about oppression and imprisonment and it's hugely poetic and, and invocative of love in regards to the cinematic camera move. So as you said, the cinematography really does evoke love and mm. um, and it's the way that the the pair are staring at into into each other's eyes and we encounter the cinema cinematography with the camera moves really slowly moving mm. into those looking them looking into each other's eyes and it really transcends that love and you know from its very life-affirming beginnings where it boldly states that every black person in america is born in bill street and the impossibilities and possibilities of this is how it should uphold this legacy. Mm. And, uh, you know, it then flows into this gentle scene observing the pair who are walking down the street and they've, they're quite new lovers at this point, but they've known each other for years and they've mm. only just realised that they're in love and how much love they actually have. And the camera moves in this way that really highlights that emotion and it's really great in that respect. And then it just sort of that whole flow gets broken up by all the drama that happens. Yeah. And the, there's a great scene where um, Tish has to tell the parents that, that she's pregnant and has to tell Fonny's parents that she's pregnant. 
And I thought that scene was great. But yeah. then after that, mm. it did seem to lack the pace that I really wanted to see in the film. And it's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just I can see there. That's where I can see the um, audience scores being mm. quite low because some people might be a bit fidgety. They might not be enjoying that pace. Mm. Um, non, nonetheless, it's beautifully shot. It's really well directed. Um, and and the, the acting is just fantastic. Um, you know, Jenkins has really f- has thrown everything into this movie and gives us this suffering loss of two people being kept apart whilst developing our understanding of how they actually got there and, and the way it flits between the two different time differences from the beginning mm. to the actual midpoint of how she's going to get him out. And I thought that was really well done. Uh, the narration was brilliant as well and it really was very poetic. Again, very, very poetic. Um, Fee on Twitter, she writes that um, if Bill Street Could Talk was a very sensitive sensitive portrayal of a family struggle that felt powerful and intimate at the same time, and I Mm. couldn't agree more with that. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is so worth going to see in the cinema. Um, I don't even need to ask you the question. You don't even need to ask me the question because I think we both agree that it's worth going to see in the cinema, isn't it? Yes, but for the sake of tradition, please, Craig, ask me the question. David, if Bill Street Could Talk, is it worth it? yes. (laughs) <laughs> quite simply isn't yeah, it yeah look for everything we've we've outlined uh, and particularly i think kiki lane keep your eyes out for for her in the future i think she could be a sensational actress because she's phenomenal in this and it's so stunning on the eye and um, if you can go and see this on the big screen i really really recommend it Cineworld presents the IMAX Film Festival 2019 on Saturday the 2nd of March. Some films have just got to be seen in IMAX. The immense scale and heart-pounding audio immerse you right into the on-screen action. Cineworld wants everyone to experience this, so it invites you to the IMAX Film Fest, where, for one day only, it's bringing you five films in IMAX for only £3 per film. This amazing event includes showings of Bohemian Rhapsody, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Mission Impossible Fallout, Ready Player One, and Deadpool 2. Book today at cityworld.com forward slash IMAX hyphen film hyphen fest. Thank you very much for listening to week 29 of the film review podcast is it worth it now this is the part of the show where we read some of your messages out and the gaming bear on twitter writes for your review for can you ever forgive me well spot on guys just saw it today and really enjoyed it largely thanks to the performances of melissa mccarthy and richard e grant yes the good old gaming bear one of our regular listeners and mr bear we are still waiting for an audio clip a growl from yourself uh, please do send that <laughs> in to us and that includes anyone else listening if you want to be on the show send us a you know a 30 40 second clip of a film you've seen what you thought of it and if it's worth it and we'd love to include it in the show 
Yes, we do. Uh, And for Question Tuesday on Twitter, we asked, what do you think is the worst film you've ever seen in the cinema and did you leave before it finished? And Elski on Twitter writes, a film called Klimt, starring John Malkovich. I have never seen as many walkouts in a film before or since. I stuck it out to the end, hoping at some point that it would suddenly make sense, and it didn't. The best guess is that they wanted us to feel as mad or as disorientated as he was. Fee on Twitter again writes, Cloud Atlas, I considered leaving after an hour, but decided to stay to the end and sorely regretted it. (laughs) Kerry on Twitter writes, The Blair Witch Project, Pile of Pants. Yes, uh, I left in disgust before it finished. Uh, Would rather watch Notting Hill with Iron Crag while I was poking my eyes out with a dirty fork (laughs) before watching that again. Um, Unfortunately, you didn't come with me, so I watched on my own. (laughs) Uh, Film for Thought on Twitter writes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Yes, I walked out. I'm usually good at avoiding the awful films, but just couldn't get through that one. Beer Matt Movies on Twitter writes, Both Pepper Pig films... That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Uh, I didn't leave as I had to review them. Uh, So tickets... Who has won these tickets? Well, Film for Thought, Beer Mat Movies and Fee, you've won yourself two passes to redeem uh, for tickets within the next six months at any Cineworld in the UK. Yes, congratulations to those listeners. And if you want to get in touch with us via the usual channels, uh, my mail is worth it at isitworthitpodcast.com, at filmisworthit on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, and also look out for our next Question Tuesday uh, for a further chance to win. And me and Craig have just discussed this. And we're going to go for, this may not be the official wording, but it's going to be something along the lines of what is your favourite acting performance of all time? That includes male and female, best ever performance. So is it Marlon Brando in The Godfather? Is it Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump? Um, get involved. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, and I don't know what on earth I'm going to select. That's a tough one. Because mm. um, if, it, if, if it was me, it would be, what is your favourite 20? But we're going to go for the famous favourite film act, on-screen acting performance of all time. <laughs> yes. So coming up on week 30, we'll be talking to Ranjit Namra. He's going to be uh, taking us behind the scenes of Cineworld, their IMAX technology, the super screen, and how a modern cinema operates. Uh, he's also really knowledgeable about the films uh, that are currently out, and we're giving us a lowdown on what he's recently seen and what he thought about those. Yes, really looking forward to that one. And the films we will be reviewing on week 30 are On the Basis of Sex, Instant Family, The Kid Who Would Be King, A Private War, and Happy Death Day to You. And, Craig, there is no other way to end this show without a rendition of Happy Death Day to You. No. Happy Death Day to You. Happy Death Day to You. Happy Death Day. Dear listeners, Happy Death Day. To you, <laughs> the most creepiest thing. That's that's that's, ever. that's that's the way to end the show. Thanks very much for listening, and we will speak to you very soon.